It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go Hayes, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judging blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live. We are back. We are talking baseball. We are inching closer to the 2023 season starting. We're getting closer, obviously, for spring training right around the corner. And the big news today, obviously, we'll be talking a lot of Hall of Fame. Our buddy Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist, is going to join us from The Athletic. He's now a Hall of Fame voter. It's his first time on the ballot. We're going to find out how much did he enjoy the Hall of Fame process. And then Dan Feinstein joined us uh, earlier this week. He joined us on Monday. Obviously, we were doing the tribute show to the great Sal Bando. So, Dan, we taped that. You'll hear it today. He's assistant general manager. He's in charge of all the international scouting and international operations for the Oakland Athletics. And it's fascinating. Dan's fascinating. I mean, it's a job like no other. You know, he reminds me of some of my buddies who work in tech, who are in management in tech, who have teams all over the country and the world. I got one buddy who, my buddy Stephen Thompson, he's actually, Cody, you know my very dear friend Stephen Thompson, one of my best friends. Uh, Correct, I do. Nice guy. And Stephen Thompson actually has been written about his story in actual books. And he has been with Apple, Google, Amazon, Amazon poached him from uh, uh, Nike, actually, is getting more into technology. Nike poached him from Amazon. He's got, but when he was at Amazon, he had a team here, Seattle, New York, London, India, and I want to say Japan. He had a team all over the world. And he kind of has that now in Nike. I mean, I know in Nike, he's got people in India. He's got a group in Poland. So he goes all over the world. He's got to manage people all over the world. And that's what Dan has to do. Dan's got scouts. You know, if you listen to the press conference when Shintaro was introduced, 
They were talking about, you know, the scouts on the Pacific Rim. You have these scouts in Asia. We think so much just about Latin America. They got guys in Australia. They got guys all over the world working for them. And you got to manage these people. What are you seeing? What do you believe? Who's worth the investment? It's a fascinating job. We'll talk to Dan a little bit later. But congratulations to Scott Rowland. Obviously, he had one hell of a career, a World Series champion, a rookie of the year, a eight-time gold glover, seven-time all-star. I mean, his career numbers for a third baseman. I mean, he's got the he's got the 70 war, which we have all just accepted. You hit 70. Even if you get close to 70, I was looking at some numbers, a guy like Greg Nettles, who is at like 68.1. You're like, wow, did he not get a fair shake? Um, But you look at Roland and 316 home runs, 1,287 RBIs, an OPS OPS of 855 for his career. I mean – Many years driving in 100, spectacular defense, a guy that played hard. You know, the one thing that learning about Scott Rowland when you go through this process as, I mean, he's a National League guy. So you think a lot of his career, we we randomly saw him. But he talked about base running. That base running was something you you can truly can control. Your effort. And I went right on. 90 feet. 90 feet means so much in our game. How do you get that extra 90 feet? And and just legendary stories about after he would take BP, how he would run the bases, where we see all these guys jog time and time again like it's no big deal. They don't work on base running. And, I mean, how many guys do you see make bonehead moves in the big leagues base running? Costing their team outs. You can't give away outs. You just can't. You give away outs. Whether it's your defense or it's base running or it's something stupid, you give away outs, teams make you pay. Good teams don't do that. And a guy like Scott Rowland was smart. He was a big dude who could run, who could play defense. And I know, I understand. I've been to that plaque room in Cooperstown, New York, multiple times. And I know when you're in there, it is a, as a baseball fan, it is like a euphoric situation. You're just like, oh, you're in this, you're in this room of greatness. These plaques are beautiful. It is not a gaudy room whatsoever. If you've been watching MLB Network the past three days, my favorite show, yes, is back. I was a little bit worried. Cody, were you a little bit worried for me and for other baseball fans when we have gone weeks with no MLB now? It was nice to see BK and the guys back uh, the other day. Were you worried when you do a little bit for weeks? Yeah, the only show on there was Mad Dog, uh, which nothing against our good friend the Mad Dog, but. I'm glad MLB now is back and they've been at the Hall of Fame the last few days. So it's been great to see BK and the guys back. But I was a little worried for you because I know how much you love Brian Kenny. I was like, man, when a show goes away for weeks and no one says anything, because I I would figure this one out, not to get too into it, but I I would bet Brian Kenny's an employee of MLB Network, so they can move him anywhere they want. Mad Dog 
is a paid-for-show guy. And we've worked with paid-for-show guys before. I've been a paid-for-show guy. Um, and when you're a paid-for-show guy, because Mad Dog, his, his money, his bones are made with with Sirius XM. That's where that's that's his that's his cash cow. That's his baby. He gets paid per show, so that's why High Heat is always going to be on. He's paid per show. Brian Kinney, you can move him. So that's where I was worried. I was like, is this show done? But the last three days, they've been at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Thank God we haven't been there because it's snowing and it looks freezing cold and absolutely miserable. But they've been doing the show. Our buddy J.P. Morosi and also front of the program, Hall of Famer Jason Stark of The Athletic, they've all been, the three of them have been in the plaque room. And it's just this beautiful wood, and the plaques are on the walls. That's it. And the lights shine right down on the plaques. Nothing gaudy, very elegant, very beautiful. And I know when I'm going to be in there again, and I'm, I'm going to be in there, and you're seeing, like, Walter Johnson, and you're seeing Willie Mays, and you're seeing Ted Williams, my guy George Brett, or how about the great Oakland Athletic Ricky Henderson, Reggie Jackson or Catfish Hunter or any of these guys that you grew up idolizing and then you run Scott Rowland. It's not going to, it's not going to blow your doors down, but Scott Rowland, if you look at his career is worthy of a plaque. The process. I I don't want, I don't want to get into the negative yet, but there's a problem with the process. And I'll tell you, Yesterday, playing golf with two young men, boy, sports changes, man. When you play with guys that uh, that are very are college competitors, and you look at these young men who hit the, Cody, I'm talking hitting the ball three ten, three twenty in the cold. It's a different. Like, it's a different breed now. Athletes are. It's. I mean, these, this is the. These guys are the future, right? You want it like. Human beings improve, right? Steph Curry is hitting three-pointers from places we've never seen people shoot before. Uh, Tom Brady's playing quarterback at 45 years old. You know, guys on guys playing professional golf are hitting the ball 340. I mean, just athletes, that they evolve, right? And I was watching it firsthand yesterday, 19-year-olds hitting it so far, and it's freezing cold, and it's windy, and you're like, wow. But, you know, things evolve. And they're baseball fans, too. And I asked them, like, hey, you know, later on, you know, they had no clue, could care less. And I started to realize something, and I threw it to Cody. Kind of scared me that all the people debating all this stuff and all the people having the arguments, it's all a bunch of old guys. I mean, not even really middle-aged guys. It's old guys. Our Baseball Hall of Fame has turned into a conversation of just old guys. Is it only old guys? And I'm saying that as a middle-aged guy. If you put me into all of this Hall of Fame coverage, if you took me and jetted, jetted me off to Cooperstown, New York, put me in a suit, and put me into the conversation, I'm by far the youngest guy. Does that scare you, Cody? A little bit. There should be more people my age and younger talking about the Hall of Like, I've talked about it amongst my friends, uh, but I don't see a lot of people, a lot of outrage on Twitter. That's not the middle-aged writer or former player or just fan of the game. The people my age are they're not paying attention, and it's sad because no. you know Scott Rowland and the guys in there, like Helton, they were players that were huge when we were growing up. Like my age group, I'm 34 years old. 
Todd Helton was a, a prime player in the years I was growing up, along with Bonds and Clemens. Same with Scott Rowland. Same with Billy Wagner. Like It's not like we're talking about Hannes Wagner and Ralph Kiner and Willie Mays. Ty Cobb. Guys that I never, we never saw play or have footage of. It's guys we actually saw play for years upon years. We saw the primes of their career, and no, it's, it's all older guys talking about it because they're outraged. Now, I'm outraged because I feel like there's – there's a couple guys on there that should have got in as well, but you know, happy for Scott Rowland. Well, it's 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 a system that we will get into later today, especially with Eno, his first time voting. But it's like it it, it it's a game. It's turned it, and you know what? It's probably all. I'm probably more disgusted with this process than I've ever been before. I understood the PED guys. Like if 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 you're gonna if you're gonna stand up for what's right and just flat out go, I'm not voting for these guys. It's a conversation. I can have that. Con- I mean, I can sit here and say, yes, I think Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Yes, I think Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. I'm not that crazy saying. I'm not crazy saying McGuire, Sosa, Palmero, A. Rod, all these guys. There's some of the greatest players who've ever lived. They deserve to have a plaque. But then on the other side of that conversation, I understand if you say, no, I'm not putting them in there. They're dirty and they're really dirty. And I'm not putting them in. Okay. I I, I can have that conversation. I can see both sides. Uh, Beltron, I mean, how much do we have to punish this guy? I mean, the cheating stuff happened later in his career. This was not the height of his career. This is not when he was a great player. I mean, he's one of the great switch hitters, players, athletes. I mean, Beltron was a phenomenal athlete. We already got him fired from his job, never got to manage the Mets, a dream job. You've taken that away from him, and now we're going to punish him again? Yeah, that's what's happening. Vindictive. We're a very vindictive sport. You've heard me talk a lot about that. I feel bad. The the, the guy that I feel bad for, and we're going to – so happy for Scott Rowland. And by the way, if you got to see the video, his parents are, are much older, and to see the, the video with him and his parents was priceless. It was absolutely priceless. Scott Rowland, I'm happy for him. Um, yeah, he's a 70 war, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, remember, we have different types of Hall of Famers, right? I mean, you got Ricky Henderson. You got Babe Ruth. You've got Willie Mays. You got Mantle, Mays, Aaron. There's certain guys that, I mean, we know there's certain, there's tiers of Hall of Famers. Like, you're not going to say, let me pick a guy. You're not going to put, like, Bruce Suter Next to Nolan Ryan. Like Tom Seaver, Bruce Souter. It's just, you know, it is what it is. But just because everybody is not Tom Seaver, Willie Mays, who at Ricky Henderson, doesn't mean they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if we if everybody had to be Ted Williams and Hank Aaron, uh, no one would ever go to the Hall of Fame because it would only have a couple plaques in it. So there, there are Hall of Famers that are just greater than the, the, it's hard to say the normal Hall of Famers, but there are tiers. Scott Rowland is not in that tier of the greatest of the greats in the clouds, these guys that we immortalize. But Scott Rowland was a terrific player and deserves to be in there. 
A problem that I have and a dude that I love, because I got to do a couple interviews with him and he was he was a lot of fun and was very gracious with his time. And I'm not one of these guys that say, well, he was good to me. And if he was good to a bunch, if he was horrible to a bunch of other people, I would not see that or address that. He was good with everybody, but he was really good with me and my old partner, Larry Kruger. I love this guy. And he's been, he's a terrific athlete. He's being penalized based off the team that drafted him. We have 30, we have 30 major league. Is my math correct? We have 30 teams, Commander? Oh, that's correct. 30 teams. Okay. If if you play for one of these teams, you're a major league baseball player. Is that correct? Correct. And you're judged on the standards of being a major league baseball player. Uh, that is also correct. So Todd Helton who played quarterback at the University of Tennessee. Peyton Manning changed that career pretty quick. But you're talking about a guy who got drafted by the Colorado Rockies. Is that his fault? No. You're talking about a guy who made it to the big leagues with the Colorado Rockies, the team that drafted him. Is that his fault? No. Do we want our players to be loyal and stay with the same team their entire careers? Yes. Okay, so we understand that the Colorado Rockies are one of 30 franchises. We understand that. We understand that they're going to draft players. We understand that they're going to sign players and that they're a part of Major League Baseball. And we want our players to be loyal. We want them to stay their entire career in one spot because it's good for the game. Todd Helton did every. Thing the right way, the way we want our players to be. And we're now punishing him for that. We're punishing him for not saying, oh, my time's up here. I'm a free agent. I'm getting the hell out of here. No, he stayed loyal. They drafted him. He stayed there. He played there. And now writers want to discredit his great career based off that he played 81 games at Coors Field. Now, there's a couple ways to look at that, Knowing back, going back to my NFL days. if And this is the thing where media people just look at numbers, right? And what are they going to say? Home versus road splits. Not everybody's going to be Stan Musial and had the same amount of hits on the road that he had at home. Not going to happen. Most guys better at home. Obviously, guys are going to be better at Coors Field. But where riders and people who really don't know sports, and I'm not trying to hammer these guys, but they need to be hammered, you don't understand how hard it is to play in elevation. Elevation is brutal on the human body. Anybody who has played for the Colorado Avalanche, the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Broncos, or the Colorado Rockies will tell you it is brutal on your body to play in elevation. You have less oxygen. There's all kinds of things that are bad. They get injuries like you wouldn't believe. The human body does not perform better in elevation. The ball may fly more, but all the other stuff you got to do is not a benefit. And you don't hear any of these bozos talking about this. All they talk about is, well, this we did at Coors and we got off. And, yeah, by the way, you put these guys at a disadvantage because everything's different when they come off the mountain. 
Balls spin different. Balls, the spin rates, all the stuff that we talk about with the data and the baseball changes when you get out of elevation. You force them, once again, Rockies drafted them. They play for the Rockies. They got to deal with the elevation. They've got to now come back to sea level, and the game's different. Is that, the, by the way, Cody, I, I, you're under contract. You're mine. I own you. You're playing for the Rockies. Now, is it your fault that you got to play one way and then leave the mountain and go on the road and play at sea level? And now the game technically is kind of, it's, it's kind of different. No, not at all. And I, I looked, I don't know if you, if you have uh Helton splits in front of you, it's not like it's, I mean, the batting average is drastic, but it's not like it drops out till he's like a 200 hitter. He's a 345 career hitter cores, but he's a 287 career hitter on the road. 287 is nothing, no, nothing to slouch it, you know, Scott well, that. you just put a guy. You just put a guy into the Hall of Fame. Okay, I, I mean, I, I, you're, you're Mr. Geography from the great school, California of whatever Pennsylvania where you went to that no one's ever heard of. Uh, I don't know. Is Philly in elevation? No. St. Louis? No. I even forgot that Roland played for Toronto. Do you remember that? No, but when they kept talking about it, I, I didn't remember. I was like, oh, no, I still don't remember. It was a Blue Jays. Years. And then and then I've been to I've been to all these places, by the way. Uh, the Natty, not in elevation. Scott Rowland's career average, career, is 281. What is Todd Helton's career average on the road? 287. So you are putting a guy in a Hall of Fame – how many years did Helton play? Uh, let me check. I'm on his splits page. Helton played 17 years in the majors. Here's our comp. 17 years for Scott Rowland, 281. 17 years for Helton on the road is what? It was 287. What are we talking about? Helton was a terrific first baseman. Could throw, obviously being a former quarterback. What was his OPS on the road? Uh, let me go back to that real quick. Also, Helton finished with 72.2% of the vote. I think he was 16 votes away from being in the, the Hall of Fame. Um, that's kind of where he was. Helton's, uh, Helton's split on the road, uh, his OPS was 855. Okay. I want you to think about this. And I just just looking at the numbers. I want you to think about this. People are people are 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 hammering Todd Helton for playing in Colorado. Even our beloved Mad Dog, and you know how much I love Mad Dog. That's why you know sometimes I'd love to debate him, but we're talking about two guys that played seventeen years. We've just established that that Todd Helton had a better. There, everybody's going to batting average because all of a sudden, Cody, everybody wants to talk batting average, right? All right, we're talking batting average. Batting average, Helton had a better road batting average than Helton had a batting average in his than 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 um Roland had in his career. Roland's career average 281, Helton's road average 287. You just told me that the OPS for Todd Helton on the road was 855, correct? Correct. 17 years on the road, 855. What is Scott Rowland's entire career, 17 years? Uh, let me pull up a Rowland's page. I have it right in front of me. I will you got to get I'll say like eight, 835. It's 855. It's the exact same. Oh, okay. I, 
Not so the guy you just put into the Hall of Fame, his OPS is the exact same OPS that Todd Helton has for his career on the road. Can't make it up. Can't make it up. Think about that. Is that crazy? So think about all that. I mean, if you really want to delve into the numbers, like I don't, we want to think these writers are doing that, but we've just established here, you're voting for one guy and we can give you the numbers of the other guy who had, he had better numbers, but you're dinging him for being in Coors Field. Well, we're going to go his road numbers versus Helton versus Roland's Helton's road. And I'm getting the name screwed up. Helton's road numbers versus Roland's career. They're basically identical. Yeah, and how is this fair? Yeah, and and roll and if you look at Helton's career numbers overall, um, Helton had a lower WAR, of, but he had two hundred three hundred sixty nine. And home that runs. is only because they ding first basements for some reason on defense. Three hundred sixty nine career home runs, a three sixteen batting average, fourteen hundred six RBI, and a nine fifty three career OPS and a one thirty three OPS plus for his career. Uh, that's 33 points ahead of league average. Scott Rowland's career OPS plus is 122. Okay. In the end, so obviously home runs, RBIs. How many runs scored did Todd Helton have? Helton had 1,401. Yeah. He scored, he hit more home runs, drove in more runs, scored more runs. I mean, every number is better. And then what's the number one thing, though? We're going to ding him for being at Coors Field. So we say, okay, what did he do off the mountain? And his and his off-the-mountain numbers are the same as Scott Rowland's. So it, it, that's something I think we need to look into. And we'll go through the process coming up here in, uh, in about four minutes. So coming up next, Eno Saris. He has been on MLB Network. You think we love him? MLB Network loves him. We're lucky to have him every single week. He's our national baseball columnist from The Athletic. It's his first year. He has survived it, but now it's over. What are his thoughts on the process? How would he change the process? We'll find out next right here. It's great to have everybody right here on a Wednesday. It's A's Cast Law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Oakland Athletics begin spring training on February 25th. Now's the time to make plans to catch us in Mesa, Arizona, and enjoy the sunshine of your family and friends. 
Buy your tickets early for the best seats at the lowest prices as your green and gold take on the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and more at Hohokam Stadium. And Tony, it's a deep drive to right in the corner. Gritchick going back. He'll turn and watch it fly. Get your tickets at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Do we have our man Eno Saris? Uh, not yet. Last time I checked, he wasn't there just yet. I'll let you know when we get him. All right. Um, I'm excited that 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 to know what it was like in the end, because this has been this is it, it's gotten to a point to where, like I said earlier. You could you could have the conversation about PEDs, guys, but now it's just gotten weird. Like Scott Rowland got like ten point two percent the first time he was on the ballot, and now he's a Hall of Famer. Like the whole thing is just bizarre. And I and I would bet that a lot of the people who don't show you their vote, it's not because they don't want the the. Some may say it's they don't want to be ridiculed, but I bet a lot of it you're going to realize these people don't work in baseball anymore. It's called the Baseball Writers Association. What is the problem with the Baseball Writers Association? Papers have died. We don't have the same amount of beat writers anymore. We don't have the columnists anymore. We're lucky in the Bay Area that we still have John Shea, and the Chronicle still pays for a national baseball columnist. I mean, let's face it. We've seen over the years, especially when Susan was still on the beat, if the A's were bad, they would take Susan off the beat and put her in hockey. Newspapers don't have money. Newspapers have gone bye-bye. Newspapers have either gone bye-bye or they're paying like one guy. Or they're just taking taking news stories from the AP. They'll take the, you know, they'll be the A's and Blue Jays play, and they'll just, you know, they, they could just take the AP story because there will be an AP writer at the game. So this whole, it's the writers decide it. We really, it's gotten, it's gotten really murky. Like our man Eno. I, has, has Eno ever worked for a newspaper? I mean, he writes for The Athletic now, but an actual, what we know as traditional newspaper man, has he ever done that? I don't think so. I mean, it was with Fangraphs before. Um, but I don't right? know. What he, uh, yeah. I mean, so we got guys voting. This was established for the baseball writers who were all newspaper people. Now we have the new generation. These guys have never even worked for a newspaper. And the old school newspaper people don't have jobs anymore. So we don't even, I mean, like you had a guy in Pittsburgh, Cody. I can't remember the guy's name, but like he hasn't worked and covered sports in years and he's still voting. Uh, well, there's guys in the Bay Area that don't even cover baseball anymore that, that are voting. We we worked with a guy, and it was, it was, it was, let's just say this. Everybody kind of raised an eyebrow going, you still have a vote? We worked with somebody, great man, one of the most beautiful people I've ever worked with, great guy, but doesn't live in the Bay Area, doesn't live in a town that has a Major League Baseball team, hadn't covered, hadn't been on a beat, Hadn't been, I mean, became radio, and he had a vote. And it was always like, how, you know, how, how does this guy have a vote, right? 
How does this guy have a vote? <laughs> As he popped on. Yeah. How does this guy right here have a vote? Well, I, I, was just, I was just talking about, you know, a guy that we, a, a guy that we used to wear, as I adjust my own camera, a guy that we used to work with who used to cover major league baseball, uh, but had moved out of any town that had major league baseball, hadn't been with a newspaper in years and been a radio guy. Uh, but he was a radio guy in a non-baseball town and hadn't covered really baseball in years and um, still had a Hall of Fame vote. And we all were like, how is this possible? I think that that there is a problem with the process, and we can get into that. But but first of all, we, we want to hear. Now that it's all said and done, you, you've done your time here, you're on MLB Network, what was it like first-time voter? Well, I, you know, I actually have the, I have the problem you're talking about a little bit on the opposite side, which is that I didn't necessarily cover these guys. You know, I've, I just got my vote after 10 years in. Uh, a lot of those guys were finishing their careers. I just got accused of voting for Scott Rowland because I liked him. And I was like, I've never talked to Scott Rowland. <laughs> I knew it. Your buddy's with him. He's buying you dinners. You're going on family trips together. How was Christmas at the Rowland's house? Yeah. So um, I don't know. It, it does give me the perspective of also I'm a numbers guy. So, you know, I come to this being like, let me just see what the numbers say. I'm not going to necessarily. I have some eye tests, but a lot of that eye test came from being a fan. You know, and just being like, well, yeah, I said I, earlier too. the baseball writers association. This thing has got so murky because I mentioned you've you've never worked for a newspaper, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. And this was always well, the, the Palo Alto Daily News. <laughs> I mean, this was all about the newspaper guys. Well, the newspaper guys, for the most part, everybody got, you know, let go. So the yeah, days yeah, of the yeah. newspaper guys. That's another question too, is like, where is the industry going and, and yeah. who's allowed in? Cause right now we're not allowing in people um, at some smaller, um, so, some smaller outlets because they don't, they don't cross some boxes. The papers used to cross. So the, there is a question of what the voting body should look like for me. Uh, it was my first time in and I had looked forward to it because um, I thought there had been some bad decisions in the past and I wanted to bring to bear my, 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 you know, fluency with the numbers and, and, and sort of be able to you say, okay, I, I got this. I know, I, I know the numbers, you know, I can, I can do this. What I didn't anticipate and what I should have is just uh, how this comes at the nexus of things that people care about so much. My team, uh, your numbers are stupid. Um, you know, the, the game is getting worse. The, the hall is getting filled of, of, of worse players. And that those arguments uh, actually bring the most vehemence and the most anger out of almost any argument that I've that I've been involved in. So, um, yeah, I didn't vote for Jimmy Rollins and I got a bunch of DMs telling me to hurt myself. Um, I, I did vote for Bobby Abreu and I got a lot of feedback about how dumb I was. Um, so yeah, the, the eventual process that I, that I start out with is it is simple. There is, there are some cool tools. Baseball reference has a page where it has all of the, uh, the, uh, people on the ballot and it has some of the numbers there. Uh, Jay Jaffe has a, a, a jaws, a tool, Jaws. which is based on war. I use that. I use war itself. Uh, Fangraphs has a sorting tool where you can sort all the hall of famers. I look how the player compares to hall of famers. 
right? And what I'm trying to do is get players that are above the average Hall of Famer because I don't want to make it worse. I don't I don't want to put in someone who's below the average Hall of Famer uh, just because he sort of belongs. I don't want to say, oh, Harold Baines is in, so anybody who's better than Harold Baines should be in. I didn't agree with Harold Baines being in, so I shouldn't use him as the person. But I use the sort of halfway line. And so if you look at, say, let's say Scott Rowland, I voted for him. I'm super happy he's in. If you look at him, he's above the halfway line among Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer, uh, Hall of Fame third baseman when it comes to homers, stolen bases, slugging percentage, batting average. Like, you know, uh, actually, I don't think he is on batting average, but on a lot of the things that we care about. And yes, war and defense. So I, you know, I said he's in. So I, I put, I voted Bobby Abreu in, Scott Girl, Scott Rowland, uh, Jeff Kent, um, and uh, Billy Wagner because I compared him to other relievers, not necessarily to all pitchers. Uh, and among relievers, he's one of the best of all time. He had a really similar batting average, OBP, and slugging against to to. Uh, Mariano Rivera. So, uh, you know, those are the guys I voted. I voted for um, and I did not vote for Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. And I did vote for Gary Sheffield. So those uh, those were the things that got people the most angry was my vote for Gary Sheffield, my non vote for Jimmy Rollins and my vote for Bobby Abreu. Although right now I'm in I'm in the deep of it with Scott Rowland because some people think he was in the hall of very good. I, I, I think this, we talked about this a little bit. There are even within the hall, there are going to be the sort of inner circle hall of famers, the first ballot hall of famers, the, yeah. the Mount Rushmore hall of famers. And no just because Willie Mays exists, doesn't mean that Andrew Jones shouldn't be a hall of famer. You I know? totally like, agree. Andrew Jones wasn't Willie Mays, but he can still be a hall of famer. There there's tears. I, and, and I, and I like to use other sports, by the way, I screwed this up. Cody, will you play the man his distinguished <laughs> open first, please? The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight Cody? locations in Northern California, oh, no. Fieldwork brings he you fresh craft beer He's direct not here today. from the He's source. A- Fieldwork will also <laughs> ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. We love our friends at Fieldwork Brewing. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned this. I, I, I think this is probably the best way to put it. So everybody can understand when Tom Brady retires and you put Tom Brady into the pro football hall of fame. If now that's the standard seven super bowls (laughs) for every other quarterback that ever comes along. Yeah. Right. The touchdown record, the yards record. I mean, the guys played in 14 title games. Yeah. Most guys won't even play 14 years. So there's different tiers. Um, Two guys I want to ask you about. Why not Beltron? I did vote for Beltron, actually. Okay, all right. So, I did vote. Sorry, that's Beltron one. Beltron to me is just—it's being vindi- We're we're not satisfied enough that he lost his job to be the manager of the Mets. <laughs> we got to ding him one more time, then he gets in next year. Also, um, uh, also a little bit unfair that he's the only player mentioned in the report. A little back. bit unfair that the report says that the organizations will bear the brunt of this punishment, and no, the no, no. Astros are to blame. Nope. Says very clearly, Astros are to blame. Uh, and that his bench coach that helped him with the whole scheme is now a manager in the major leagues. And his manager is now a manager in the league. Right, yeah. Even the guys Everybody's who got fine. punished. Even the Everybody's guys who got fine. punished. It's just him and Lunau are the two guys that are like, you guys are, we're getting you guys. Uh, 
Did you vote for Helton? I did too, actually. Sorry, I did too. Okay. And my okay. and my vote for for Helton. Um, I, I guess it it shows you a little bit. I'm a big Hall guy, so maybe some people are you know are like, ah, oh, that's too many. Uh, but it wasn't ten. And Helton. Um, uh, there's this interesting thing that happens when you're in cores, you see only fastballs because your junk doesn't like pitchers junk doesn't move. Curveballs yeah. don't break. So you see only fastballs and then you leave cores and you see only breaking balls. And this leads to players having a worse away uh, performance than you'd expect. Todd Helton had an 855 road OPS anyway, despite which was, this, which was, we, we just did these numbers his 855 road OPS is the exact same as Scott Rowland's OPS for his career. <laughs> yeah. He has a higher, he has a it's higher. Scott, Scott Rowland had the glove though. Scott Rowland had the glove. Scott, Scott Rowland's batting average was 281 for his career. We're banging Helton for being on the road. Helton's career average was 287. I'm yeah. not banging on Rowland. I'm just saying what, 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 what drives me nuts is, we have established, Cody and I have established that the Colorado Rockies are one of the 30 Major League Baseball teams. Is that correct? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Okay, so, we can't just and, say no Colorado Rockies hitters are ever and allowed. They draft home. players <laughs> and they bring players up, and we want players to stay their whole career with the same team because we think that's admirable. We yeah. want players to do that. This guy does all of that, and now you're punishing him for that. And this is the thing that I think writers, and it's just writers don't know as much as they. They think they do. It is really hard to play in elevation. Anybody that tells you for the Denver Broncos, right. the Sleep, Avalanche, the, the Nuggets, yeah. lack of oxygen, guys get hurt easier. It's really hard to play in elevation. And then when you go on the road, as you just mentioned with the pitches, but when you go on the road and your body goes back down to sea level, it's now a different game for you. It's not mm -hmm. the Rocky player's fault. Yeah. Yeah. And and one thing you can see is there are a lot of former Rockies that went on to play in other places. And people said, why'd you sign them that, you know, their road, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they were great. You know, Matt Holiday is a, is a really good example, but there are other examples of players, you know, Dexter Fowler. There are other players that were great in Colorado, went on and had uh, surprisingly similar numbers in other places. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, you know, writ large, he was one of the best first basemen. Uh, yeah. of all time and uh he had some amazing seasons some amazing seasons that are a little bit you know even more amazing than scott Rowland. if you if you want to ding scott Rowland, it's like he didn't really have that mvp type season uh helton did have an mvp type season he didn't win it that year but he had numbers that if you look at them you're just you're like what are you talking about <laughs> and, and let's be honest ped guys kept him from winning an mvp yeah, uh, you know, so Todd, Todd Helton's, yeah, maybe I, don't, I forget who he, who oh, Sammy Sosa beat him that year, didn't he? Uh, 2001, 336 batting average, 49 homers, 2000, 372 batting average, 463 on base. He lost to Barry Bonds. I mean, he lost to PED guys. So it's 698 it, slugging. Oh my it's god, it's not totally fair. Well, and 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 what I think probably M MLB now. Uh, did the best job of this year was truly explaining the vote and the game that is the voting where Jason Stark talked about how, you know, if you get a ballot that it's no votes, it truly changes percentages. You need now extra more yes votes to make up for a ballot that, I mean, 
extra more yes votes to make up for a ballot that had no votes. And when you're saying that you voted X amount of guys and that means you're big haul, no, you need to understand if you if you don't utilize your 10 votes, then a guy like Scott Rowland never has a chance to go from 10% to, to where he is today as a Hall of Famer. It is. That never is have that opportunity. It's a game. Yeah, like somebody's yelling at me right now about like, how did he go from 10% to 76%? It it has to do, there's a, the sort of the politics of yes. the year and the ballot over time. And there are years where it's much more crowded. And then there are years where it's less crowded. It has to do with how many people are coming in that are hall worthy, that are first ballot hall worthy, that sort of thing. And then they're also changing ideas over time about the importance of wins above replacement as a thing we should think about when we vote. So exactly over the sort of 10 years that, you know, or whatever many years that Scott Rowland has been on the ballot, war has become more popular among voters and younger voters are getting the vote like me who use yeah. war more to, to look at him. And Scott Rowland is a war candidate. You know what I mean? He is that kind of guy where you're like, you know, and, and I think, you know, another thing, third basemen are not well uh, represented in the hall of fame. They have the least, they're the position with the least amount of hall of famers. And I think this is exactly why is somebody like Scott Rowland, because we don't vote in defensive third baseman because for a long time, I think people thought third baseman were just first baseman on the other side of the diamond, you know? And I think that they didn't really care about their defense and they wanted their third baseman to put up numbers like their first baseman. And I think Scott Rowland with war and, in, in, you know, on his side says, no, man, his defense was really valuable. And now I think that fits with my personal eye test. I thought he was the best third baseman, uh, defensive third baseman of his time. That's what I remember him as. And so, you know, if you start with that and being like, okay, he's the best defensive third baseman of his time. Let's look at his offensive numbers. Whoa, they're pretty good. Now they're not like Hall of Fame worthy. If he was a first baseman, he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. You know? But with war, we now have that. So over time, you sort of get you get fewer, fewer people who are going to do the zero ballot protest vote, you know, because because there are actual Hall of Famers on here. You get younger people who are into war and they're going to they're going to vote based on war. So, you know, there's a lot of things ebbing and flowing. There are people who fall out of having the vote. There are people who gain the vote. And and there are just year to year. Sometimes you'll have 15 people you want to vote for and only 10 slots. So then you have to sort of decide who's going to be in, who's going to be out. People this year didn't vote for Carlos Beltran just to say, I mean, Bob Costas said this. Yeah, I thought the coverage was pretty good. Bob Costas said this, not on the first ballot. And I get it, I guess. It's like another little you know, punishment. Yeah. But it is kind of funny to be like, okay, next year he will be a Hall of Famer. Next year he gets 80-something. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, and next year, next year third base is going to be the, – the third base, now that you got Chipper in, now that you get rolling, I mean, there's no question first ballot. Beltre's going in. He's got he's got all the numbers. He's got a Belt similar package, I think, to Roland. I mean, he, well, he's, his, got the, he's got the 3,000 hits, so even the Jokers can't vote. I mean, you got it. Right. Yeah, he, he, even the but he was guys. like love first for a while. I mean, for 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 parts of his career, his his better his best foot forward was his glove. Yeah, you start looking three thousand one hundred and sixty six hits, four hundred and seventy seven homers, six hundred and thirty six doubles, seventeen hundred and seven runs, scored one thousand five hundred and twenty four. I mean, he's just, he's, he's going in. He's a first he's ballot. Got, he's got but my the vote. two guys that are interesting, Chase Utley and Joe Mauer. 
Yeah, I think Maurer's Maurer's got my vote. I've I've already sort of looked ahead on that, and um, and the you know the other the other position that's under under um, uh, underrepresented in the Hall of Fame is the is catcher. There are only seventeen catchers in the Hall of Fame. There are like twenty four first basemen. So um, you know, I think uh, I think that's because the metrics aren't always great for catchers. They 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 break down earlier. It's a tough. Yeah, they don't last tough. long. Yeah, they don't last the, as long. They don't get to three thousand. Beloved Ray Fossey, you just had to see his hands. Yeah, they're so crooked. Yeah, they, they look pretty pretty old and broken by the time they're done. So um, you know, I, I think we have to, and also they do things that won't get caught up in the numbers. So we have to be careful, even as this war, like as young people with the war thing come forward, that we don't just say, oh, Yadi Molina's not in because of war. Because I remember a while back, people were saying, Yadi Molina's not in, look at his war. And I said, nah, man, Yadi Molina's a Hall of Famer. And then we added framing into war. And all of a sudden now, Yadi Molina has the war of a Hall of Famer. And so I'm saying, what about game calling? We don't have game calling in war right now. So if you're telling me there's some guy who's like maybe five wins above replacement short of the Hall of Fame catcher position, I don't want to hear that he's not in because because of war. You know what I mean? Because he might have been the best game caller. In fact, what do people say he was the best game caller? You know, that maybe maybe you should listen to them. So, okay. I mean, the, the relationship between a catcher and his pitching staff and the pitching coach, it's magic. And when you got a yeah, great yeah. one who, you know, there's no metric for how much he studies video. There's no metric for how much he studies so scouting reports. You know, how many outs does he get your team based off his knowledge of the hitters and his knowledge of the pitchers? I mean, how does, you know, there's not a metric that's that where this catcher knows, I know how my pitcher performs best in which situations. Knowing your pitchers like that gets you out. So the cerebral part of the day or, you know, they're seeing it or the cerebral part of the game doesn't end up in the metrics. And that's not fair. That's what makes some of these guys that what's what makes their greatness. Yeah. We've been blessed here. Uh, You know, Buster Posey's got my vote when he makes it. Um, I think that should be pretty obvious, but uh, maybe some people will argue they didn't have the length of the career you expect. Um, You're and- just friends with him. You were buddies. You dined together in Atherton, you rich people. No, I wished he talked to me. It was so hard <laughs> to get him to talk to you. God. That, that now we're starting to get into people that I covered. And I did talk to Adrian Belter and had a great conversation, but it took me eight times to yeah. get that conversation. He's a tough guy to get. But uh but I hey, just, hey, can we just say one player they never said that when they ah oh, you were just buddies or you were just it. no one ever accused that with bonds. <laughs> you because you're buddies with him. No. No, he asked <laughs> he asked me for money one time. I said, "Can I can I talk to you about choking up on the bat? I'm doing a big story about choking up on the bat." And he said, "You got money?" <laughs> I'm not shocked. He got mad. I was no, helping I don't need money for you, Barry Bonds. He was a jerk to me. It was back when I was in my early days at KMBR. Mm-hmm. And he and that little squiggly handler guy, I mean, he's in Game of Shadows. I can't remember his name. Uh-huh. Uh, they came into the studios, and it was in the off season. And I was setting up the studio, and I got the scripts together. It was commercials to help Barry Bonds, and it was a mess because they were a mess. And Barry got mad at me. I kind of just blew him off and walked out. Uh, but yeah, Barry Bonds got mad at me and I was trying to make, I was trying to help. I was make trying to help good. him make money. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chase Hutley, Chase Hutley as a second baseman is interesting. Yeah. 
you know, there's, I, I try not to have magic numbers because we often, a lot of these magic numbers are going to go away with the way that people play the game now. Um, you know, you think about like 500 homers or, or like think about 300 wins. Like nobody's really going to do 300 wins anymore. You know, no, We're just, never. because we don't even leave them in long enough to get the win. Uh, but, but, you know, 60 wins is, is, uh, kind of a magic number. 60 wins above replacement. He's got 61 and a half. He's right there. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a short, short peak thing. He kind of, once then it was knee on knee, I mean, bone on bone in the knee. Uh, he kind of really fell off. He had those really amazing three three top 10 finishes in MVP for a second baseman. Yeah. The stolen bases, the runs, the RBIs, the home runs, the doubles, the defense played in big games, played well in big games. I mean, at some point that that's all something. And I know I, I did an interview with Joe Morgan one time who said, Joe Morgan said, your postseason stuff is icing on the cake. I get that. But that icing tastes pretty darn good. And we do have to, when, when the, when the lights are the brightest and the most important, I think there is something about how you performed in the postseason. That may be one of the, the, the dings on Billy Wagner. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, but uh, Udley had more chances than Wagner, bigger sample. Uh, 224 batting average uh, in the postseason. But uh, well, you guys yeah. say batting average doesn't matter. <laughs> power. I love when you guys go back to batting average when you guys hate batting average. I call you guys on that all the time. Cody does that too. I go, wait a minute. You said it doesn't matter. Now it matters. Yeah. <laughs> I what, mean, what was his Hall of Fame arguments can be squirrely. It's true. So, but Utley hit home runs. He drove in runs. Utley was a good player in the postseason. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, 10 homers and about half a season worth of at bats, 11 stolen bases. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I, I, w- I remember very distinctly uh, being very sort of mad at him as a fan. Uh, which is a good sign of someone's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> like well, hey, that I, guy, I tell you what, if, if that you guy is go, so good. <laughs> if you don't go Utley and, and J Roll, you're gonna you better never go to Philadelphia again. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. In any case, uh, I, I I think I'll make that decision later. All I'm right, before, pre-decided. Before we get out of here, uh, what is this eighty twenty percentile projections you got going on? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, thanks to Zip's projections on Fangraphs, I'm looking at the 80th percentile. So projections give you sort of a look at the the halfway mark of just like this is the most likely outcome. But they, you know, the good projection systems also model like the what it would look like uh, in the extremes, right? And the things that can lead to uh, wider extremes in the projections are, um, let's say they don't have a major league track record. You're projecting a minor leaguer. Uh, let's say they're they're very old or very young, or they strike out a lot because uh, strikeouts translate to the major leagues differently. Or a guy who strikes out a lot can have a streaky good season or a streaky bad season. I think of Franmil Reyes. Yeah. He he struck out a lot. You know, with the Padres, he hit like 40 homers and everyone loved him. And then he goes to Cleveland, he strikes out a lot, and they release him. Um, so, you know, strikeouts can do that. So, um, I, I was looking at this and it's actually very interesting. The A's have a, um, have fewer high variance players than most major league teams. They're in the sort of bottom third. So that makes sense. Actually, if you think about the types of players that the A's acquire when they, when they trade. 
they're always looking for guys who are closer to the big leagues, who are more projectable. And if you talk to people privately on the A's, they talk about, you know, not wanting to take on that risk. So when the Reds take on two 17-year-old shortstops and A-ball for, for their pro, with their guys when they trade them away, the, the A's are much more likely to take on a 23-year-old in double-A AA or triple-A that's had a taste of the big leagues, Kevin Smith, you know? So it's Kevin Smith versus Noel V. Marte. Noel V. Marte, you know, there's, there's you know, 80 out of, 20, out of 100 times doesn't do anything in the big leagues. And 20 out of those times is amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the, the A's are much more likely, hey, we want a guy who's a 50-50 shot at least to make the major leagues, who we think is projectable. There's less risk. We think he's going to make it. So they actually don't have as many uh, high-variance guys. But I thought it would be interesting to point out who has the most variance. And these are the types of guys where if they have seasons that are on their better outcomes, they, the A's will be good. Um, and so I, you might not be surprised at all to hear it's Shea Langoliers, uh, yeah. Seth, uh, Seth Brown is a little bit surprising. Uh, Estory Ruiz, uh, and Jordan Diaz and Max Muncy. Those guys, uh, have a, uh, more than two win separation, uh, between, uh, nearly three wins for Max Muncy between, um, uh, what they, what they're like, what they could be in the worst and what they could be in the best outcome. Uh, so if you look at projections, and you're saying, man, this Oakland team looks bad. Shea Langlers is projected for a 225 batting average. Uh, Seth Brown uh, doesn't ha- look like he's going to have a 300 OBP this year. Uh, Estory Ruiz, 365 slugging. Those are all the sort of median outcomes. And I do think that they're a little depressing at times. Uh, but at the same time, we have to think that these are not proven players yet. They haven't, they don't have long major league track records. So the 80th percentile outcome is still possible. And that 80th percentile outcome has uh, Seth Brown, Isturi Ruiz and, uh, and Shea Langoliers as being nearly three win players, four wins as all-star. So now you've got a core of players. And I think that's what the A's are going to do this year is put all these guys on the field. You know, Jordan Diaz is in this group and, and, uh, and see what they can do. Rolling those dice, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I will say that I was going to say in the in the Bay Area catchers thing that I was saying, Sean Murphy. Uh, it's too bad he's gone, but he was a, a real hard worker, uh, and I think one of those great catchers that really understood his pitchers. And for what it's worth, in my in my few conversations with Shay Langoliers, I've talked to him three, four, or five times about catching, about hitting, about everything. I, I think he's a legit catcher. Uh, we'll have to see how the, the strikeouts come along uh, on the batting side. But in terms of handling the staff and uh, and taking it very seriously, uh, he's a good catcher. Quickly, Aguilar signing that one-year deal with the A's for supposedly $3 million. It's just, this just screams like an Oakland A's deal. Uh, if he doesn't perform, eh, get rid of him, no big deal. Or he over goes back to what he used to be, and that's a guy who can be a force in the middle of your lineup for three mil. Yeah, the A's used to do this all the time. I mean, how many? You had Mike Piazza in here. You had like, you know, we had Frank Thomas. I think was an A. You know, like we always had yeah. uh, the the bigger, older uh, DH type. And I think, uh, I think you know, maybe he'll play some first base. Maybe Seth Brown will play in the outfield or play first base. Uh, either way, you know, it helps them when they're sorting through options in spring training. I will say that I also saw um, something on Dermis Garcia on fan graphs as uh, something, you know, very interesting about the way uh, he was making contact last year that he could be a breakout content uh, uh, candidate. So 
I think Dormis is still in the mix. I think Soderstrom yeah. is going to be in the minors, but he's on his way. So they've got some first baseman to work through. Great stuff as always. Let's play his outro, please, Cody. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. I can already hear it next year, you know. You David Wright blew you off. That's why you're not voting for him. <laughs> I can hear it now. It's not the short career. <laughs> All right, buddy. Great stuff. And you were fabulous on MLB Network. All right. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, the great Eno Saris joining us here. He joins us every single week on A's Cast Live to talk baseball. And um, good stuff. Good stuff. So, obviously, Muncie's not going to be in the big leagues next year. I mean, something like bad things would have he'd have to be really good and bad bad things would have to happen i just don't think that's going to happen but you know if you're talking about yeah langoliers hits makes more contact powers there seth brown we already know it's a big leaguer ruiz and diaz i mean we saw diaz we know diaz can swing it don't know where he's going to play and ruiz people believe has potential to be uh kind of a Kind of a really good to star player. Now, you got to do it, but there's that potential there. And the rule changes, speaking of rule changes, coming up next, a player, was this at their fan fest? Because you just sent me the clip of it on Twitter. Don't say the player's name. Was it at their, at their fan fest? He was on a podcast. It was on a podcast. Was this this team's podcast or just a podcast? It was a it was a player who's on this team. It was the team's. I was asking, was the team's podcast? No, it's his own separate podcast, but he plays for the same team. Oh, okay. So a player on that team at a podcast invited him on, and he just so happened having to have uh, a jersey, the yeah, jersey on. Uh, yes. Okay. Coming up next is that not vague? It could, it could have been a fan fest, but I know it was part of his, this player's podcast. A player that you thought was going to be a star. You thought at one point he'd be the $200 million, or now we're talking $300 million player. And it hasn't worked out. He's trying to revitalize his career. He loves the idea of these rule changes. Who am I? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com spring. That's athletics.com spring. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, 
A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. That's right. We are back here, A's Cast Live. And you just look at Aguilar and what he has brought. I mean, you got potential for 30 plus home runs, 100 plus RBIs. I mean, it's there, it's been done before. Now, is that going to happen at the Coliseum? At the, at, at, I don't know. But if you got 20-plus and 80-plus out of him, a presence in the lineup, because there's not a lot of home runs right now on the roster. There's not a ton. So if you add him to, like, Seth Brown's home runs and you got two guys that got the ability to get the ball out of the ballpark, and once again, it's a deal for $3 million for one year. If it doesn't work out, psh, see you later. I mean, it could be an absolute – Cody, it could be a steal. Yeah, when when this deal came out yesterday uh, on Twitter, uh, pending a physical – it's not confirmed by the club – pending physical, one year, $3 million. What Aguilar did in 2021 with the Marlins, he had a lot of power in a pitcher's ballpark in Miami. But his best year was in Milwaukee in 2018 when he had 30-plus homers, drove in 100 runs, and was a home run derby participant. Now, he was very bad last year for the Marlins, and he played 16 games with the Orioles – but you can get the production you mentioned twenty and eighty off from a guy that you know he has a track record where a lot of guys for are three million for three million. That's a steal. Then you can flip him at the deadline. What do you mean flip him? Not going to need to flip him. He's hitting bombs for you. You're going to keep him. Yeah, but but if the teams want him, you can get a prospect back because that's all we talk about now is prospect. Well, I don't want. I don't want to get. I don't want to go there. I want to talk about the team now and what allows for the healthy competition at first base. You know, the Nota kid we got in the Rule 5 from uh, from the Dodgers, Dermis, Soderstrom. You know, there's a healthy competition, and you got a veteran guy there to DH. And then, of course, with DH, you can move guys and do all these. But to know that you got, hopefully, a steady, a steady Eddie veteran guy who knows how to DH there. Because young players don't know how to DH. I, I mean, I say it all the time. Like, you don't get it. DHing sucks. You're used to playing every single day. You're used to going to the ballpark. You're used to taking BP. You're used to going out there. You play defense. You play offense. You play the game. Being like a DH is almost like, what, a field goal kicker? You're going to go out only a couple times a game, and that's it. I mean, I mean, literally, and this is kind of the drawback of – Somebody who you go, oh, man, that guy's great. He's a DH. A DH, remember, normally will get four at-bats. So, essentially, he only participates in four out of the nine innings because he doesn't play defense. People don't think about that. So, how much as a DH can you influence a game when you're only in four out of the nine innings? I mean, if you don't hit, you, you I mean, you go over. You're a, you're, a, you're irrelevant because at least if you go for four, you can make a diving catch. You can make a good throw. There's things that you can do to help your team win. You going 0 for 4 as a DH doesn't do much for you, and it's tough. And How do you occupy that time, especially when we had these long games of three hours and 30 minutes, and you're only, you know, your at-bat is, if you swing at the first pitch, your at-bat's pretty quick. But let's say you take a few pitches, and then, I mean, you might be less than two minutes of a three-hour and 30-minute game. But how do you occupy your time? What do you do? 
You know, every guy, you know, some guys go hit in the cage. Some guys ride the bike. Somebody, somebody get your juices flowing. Guys are pounding coffee. I mean, there's always a routine that you have as a DH, and that's why you don't want to see young players. That's why you heard me say all last year on this show and on A's Cast Live, I hate this Langoliers, Murphy, Platoon, and the other guy, DH, because young guys need to play. It's better for their offense, too. I'd rather stick Langoliers out in left field and let him hit and play in the field and be in the game versus having him DH. So we don't have that problem anymore, but having a veteran guy that's cheap, tremendous upside on this deal, and you have a veteran guy who can man the pole at DH. By the way, do you see the the shirt I'm wearing today, Commander? That's a Yes, I do. It's a great shirt. I must wore well, I must wore it the other day. Uh, we both had the same hoodie on the other day when we talked to Dan Feinstein, so uh, I didn't want to – good thing I didn't wear that shirt. Please recognize it's the Last Ken Korak, the Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer Voice of the A shirt, who I will be playing golf with tomorrow. And he'll be on with us on the, Friday. We'll be we'll be playing golf, Center Bar Hills, and then we'll be doing our – have we have you done your read yet today about that? No, uh Spirit Week is still going with great ticket offers for uh, opening day and games throughout the season. But for us, happy hour, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Plank on Friday. Ken Korak will be joining us. That's going to that's gonna really get people excited. Uh, us, not so much. Ken Korak. What? A little different. A little different story. Maybe you. How do they not want to come hang out with me and let's talk some baseball? But fair point. Okay, so you and Ken Korak will be there, and I'll yeah. I'll, I'll be there as Don't well. Don't throw me under the bus. Uh, four four p.m. to six p.m. at Plank at Jack London Square this Friday. All re- tickets for regular season games go on sale this Friday as well, so you'll be able to get them then. So we hope to see everyone there Friday, four p.m. at Plank at Jack London Square. Real quick, how many first basemen did the A's use last year? Well, we had sixty-four players that we used, right? Correct. So not all 64 played first base. That's also correct. Um, About a fifth of I'm these gonna, guys did. Huh? About a fifth of these guys did. I'm going to say we had at least 15 guys play first base. The answer is 12. I got that from Mar- all right, I was close. Martin Gallegos had it in his piece on MLB.com talking about Jesus Aguilar. Uh, he didn't list the 12 guys, but Stephen Vogt, uh, Dermis, Seth Brown, uh, Nathan McKinnon, I'm sure Billy McKinney played a game. Uh, come on, help me out here. I know we're forgetting some guys. Matt Davidson, maybe. Everybody. Uh, I mean, I mean, first base. I mean, who didn't? I mean, that, that we're 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 gonna like years from now, someone's gonna say, "Oh, he played for the A's," and you're gonna go, "He played for the A's," and we're gonna be sitting here going, "When did he play for the A's?" Uh, Jed oh, Lowry, 2022, and you're gonna go, "Well, okay, I don't remember it." We had 64 players. Sheldon Noisy. I'm just going through the guys that could have played first base. Uh, Christian Bethencourt was one. I'm, who yeah, am I, I forgetting? Uh, um, Jonah Bride. Uh, Jordan Diaz. I think we got them all. Maybe. I mean, once again, years from now, they're going to go, that guy played for the A's. And you're going to go, no, he didn't win 2022. And you go, okay, <laughs> you're right. 64 players. I don't remember all of them. Um, did not have God. You, I just had something. Oh, saw a great question on Twitter. If you could take any pitcher from any major league baseball team for your team right now, you can steal anybody. Who would it be, 
And this guy cannot be a former Cy Young Award winner. No. Oh, okay. Let me think for a second. Because old Sandy down in South Florida is the guy you're stealing right out of the gate. He's off the board. Yeah, I was going to say Corbin. Your guy Scherzer, off the board. I was going to say Corbin Verlander, off the board. DeGrom, off the board. Anybody you can think of. If they've won a side, they're off the board. Well, if you if we're going to go that way, probably Garrett Cole. You take Garrett Cole. I, I'm just thinking of guys off the top of my head because I was going to use Burns, but you qualified. I was saying no Cy Young. Right. Um, That's really who you take. If you take one guy, you're going to take Garrett Cole. Oh, I need it. I'm just thinking through. Wheeler's pretty good. Nola, I'd probably still take Cole over them. So you went Wheeler, Nola, Cole. Okay. No, I I still I take Cole first. Okay. That's easy. those three guys are the guys that pop to your head. Um, yeah, because like all the other guys I thought of won Cy Youngs for immediately. Okay. All right. The guy in LA. Do you want, me to give you what the, do you want me to give you what the real answer is? Uh, so the guy in LA is pretty good too. Shohei Otani, because you get him and his bat. Oh yeah, it's, uh, he didn't want to Cy Young. He hasn't won a Cy Young award. Yeah, I think you take Shohei. It's a good answer. I didn't think a lot, a lot of people don't think about that. I'm like, if I could take one guy, well, if I'm taking him, I mean, his bat comes with him. Correct. I don't think the person who threw and it was Scott, it was somebody. In the in our baseball world, blue check guy who threw this uh, question out. I don't think they thought about that. Well, I get his bat because the human being comes to Oakland. If Shohei Otani comes to Oakland, he gets to hit too. Also, uh, careful of that blue check mark. People pay for that now. But yes, I think I saw that too, but I can't remember who it was. Or well, something I mean, along those lines. Would be different from your blue check mark. Uh, mine's real. I didn't pay for it. Uh, yeah, you just had a friend that worked at Twitter who got it for you. That's true. Yeah. That was years ago. I've been verified for years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't try and fool me. Uh, uh, that's a good question, though, because you're right. No, not a lot of people would say show, Tony, because they you would. You would think about that, right? No. So, And then wouldn't that solve our problem with Shintaro pitching every six days? If we have two guys that are used to pitching every six days, and now Otani will – Otani's graduated from that, but we could put Otani back on there. We'd have Otani, Shintaro – we got Cole. We got Blackburn. I it's a great problem. I, what's the? Am I am I wrong? I mean, if you if you want to talk about, I mean, we could say it real quick. Uh, we mentioned the other day about the Angels and Artie Moreno not selling. Could be less likely that the Angels keep them. I mean, what if we had a, with the, this question said we could steal anybody? I'm stealing Shohei, and I got a Shohei. I got a Shintaro. And I got a County Roads, I believe is a song yeah, that Cole Irvin comes out that's to. That's correct. Give me Blackburn. That's my four. I got a bazillion guys to, to, to now throw out there at five, probably Waldachuk. I now got, well, that's five. Well, I need six guys. I mean, I'm I, Searsy. Uh, I mean, whatever. Puck. We'll, we'll find some. Puck. But I tell you something. We're, we have Shintaro and Shoei. And Shoei, by the way, Shoei's hitting third. You're not hitting fourth. You're hitting third. Yeah. Well, what, the way you said it first, you're like, if we had Shohei and uh, Fuji and Cole, I'm like, wait, wait, we got Garrett Cole too. And then I was like, oh, Cole Irvin. I'll take Cole Irvin over Garrett Cole right now. That's that's bold. That's bold. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you imagine? And, and by the way, I, I look at Shohei and go, um, I don't know what your future is after this season. 
I just know we're playing you every game. You play 162. I am not here for your future. I'm not here for your future free agency. Could not care less, as my friend, the Hall of Famer, Rick Barry said. I could not care less. Shohei, you're playing every game. You're hitting every game. I might give you a, you know, I'll give you maybe 10 to 8 days off for the for the year. But you're going to play, you're playing over 150 games. He played in one, 157 last year. Yeah, you're playing every day. And and your free agency next year is a non-factor to me. You're playing. You're hitting. Now, if there's things going on with your arm, I understand, but you're hitting. Bring your Bring your cleats and bring your stick to the game. Your your DH in every game. Hell, I might start putting you out in the outfield too. Shohei Otani, center fielder for your Oakland Athletics. How about that? Uh, I think people would be very excited if that was really a, a possibility for sure. All righty, pay off the tease. I want to. I want to. I want to give you the sound that was on Twitter, and it it, it really is interesting what we're going into these changes in baseball cody bellinger is a guy that i'm going to put in his name here i'm having to work with different technology because i'm alone in the studio today i do not have cody cody is uh i'm in our wonderful oakland offices at jack london how is it there today uh there's a lot of people here today pretty busy we all have to be here on Wednesday, so it's pretty busy. Well, we're getting close. Yeah, walk I mean, up. We're getting, before you know it, we're going to be in walk. Arizona ready to rock. All right, Cody Bellinger comes up. He's Rookie of the Year. Right? He was Rookie of the Year. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah, he was Rookie of the Year. And then I'm looking at it now. It was his third year. So his third year in Major League Baseball at 23 years old. Cody Bellinger goes out there, hits 47 home runs, playing first base, playing center field. 47 home runs, 115 RBIs, an OPS of 1,035, led the league in total bases with 351. His OPS plus, Cody, you tell me, 167. Is that any good? Uh, that's 67% above uh, the major league average of 100. And since you and Eno don't care about batting average, in this MVP season, he hit 305. So he is looking like this guy's going to get a mega payday. Like he's 23 years old. He's won his first MVP. This guy's looking like he's already rookie of the year. Yeah, he was rookie of the year. And. He wins Rookie of the Year. Two years later, he's the MVP. You're starting to get a plaque ready for him in Cooperstown. Like that, you know, his dad was a big leaguer pitcher. He's been around it. Prodigy. Everybody knew he was going to be good. Even though he wasn't as drafted as high as I would have thought, right? He was not a first-round pick. It's like a sixth-round pick or whatever, just because he was a skinny kid. But once he, once, he, once he started his career in the minor leagues, people went, uh-oh, this guy can swing it. And he's such a great athlete. He can go from first base. He can play you gold glove defense at first base and gold glove defense at uh, at uh, center field. He's already won a gold glove. So that's a 23. But then all of a sudden, he completely falls off the map. 
Two years ago, hit a buck sixty-five. Last year, two ten. The power's gone. He hurt his shoulder. Uh, he hurt it. You saw. We remember in the World Series, he hits a home run, does the thing, and subluxes his shoulder again. He's got the shoulder problems, mechanic problems, whatever. Cody Bellinger's been a shell of himself. But he said this on a podcast about the new rules and how it's going to affect guys like him that are super pull happy. If not, their approach is up the middle pull. Here's what he had to say. I think it's cool that we have the we have the the shift going away. I think that's beautiful. We were, we were just about talking that about that tell, backstage. Yeah, tell me about that. Like as a left-handed hitter, what does that do for you? It just opens up a completely different part of the game. You know, we were uh, just talking about it. Um, the, your whole life, growing up, you hit a line drive. You have pitchers right there. You hit a line drive back at his face. That's a hit your whole life. A hundred percent of the time. In these last five years, it's an automatic out. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a shortstop standing right short behind. Shortstop yeah. right there, and vice versa. You have a a third baseman in right field, and so that ball you've hit in front of right field used to be hit your whole life, and now you got Manny Machado standing right there <laughs> catching everything yeah, with a yeah you with know? a with a couple so gold gloves. I was what I was telling him what I'm I'm most excited for. I think. Um, and, and I don't know how exactly it's going to look and how it's going to work, but I think it's going to bring a lot of athleticism back into the game. Yeah, I think so too. These infielders are going to have to c- cover a lot of ground and, and show off, you know, what they can do as opposed to, you know, standing where the ball's probably going to be hit. And I think it, for me as just like a baseball fan, I think that's pretty exciting. I agree. And... What, what a lot of people don't understand and what we've gotten better at in sports is biomechanics and understanding what does the human body do? What's the human body meant to do, right? And if you look at how people are built, how we are built, how our hands and our wrists and our arms work, the way when you hold, it doesn't matter if we're talking about a hockey stick, we're talking about a baseball bat, we're talking about a golf club, the way that we swing it down and the and, and essentially the way that our wrist and our arms work are all more of a pull action. That's why a natural shot in golf or in hockey is basically like a draw shot. You're curving it because when you bring the object in to hit the puck, the ball, and the way essentially the way I'm showing you, the way the way that our wrist and our hands work, it produces this type of spin, a right-to-left spin. And it's the same thing in golf. It's the same thing in hockey. And in baseball, when we're bringing the bat in, and here comes the barrel behind it, our wrists are they're going to hit to where if the barrel is out in front of you, you're either going to hit the ball back up the middle or you're going to pull it. Now, you got to realize, when you hit the ball the other way, a lot of times you're dragging that handle and dragging it through or you're flipping your wrist at the end. Like Tony Gwynn was a master at, and I'm doing it from the left side, of flipping the barrel out there and hitting that ball in the famous 5.5 hole. He flipped it. Well, just flipping is not really actual natural. What's natural is the natural turn of your hands, your forearms, the way it works, biomechanics. So, when I get callers who constantly say to me on the postgame show, why don't they just hit it to the other side? Well, 
hitting like the hitting I'm like I'm left-handed hitting to where you're dragging the barrel late and flipping it late and hit that's not natural these guys have grown up releasing the power releasing the barrel through the zone think about that when you let the ball get deep and then you explode the barrel through the zone, that's why the line drive is hit so hard back up the middle. And that's why when a guy rips one into, I'm talking about if I'm a left-handed hitter, when I rip it back up the middle or I rip it into right center, I fully got that barrel through. Hey, have you noticed, and StatCast will tell you this, that the balls that are pulled, so for a left-hander, a left-hander, a ball that is hit line drive into right center is going to be hit harder with more velocity than a left-hander hitting a ball the opposite way into left field. StatCast will tell you that. We've got radar everywhere. We, we know exactly. So when people say, well, why don't you just, you know, hit it to the left side against the shift? Well, because that's not natural for these guys. It's not natural from a biomechanics standpoint. It's not natural how you grew up hitting. It's not how you, you're taught to hit the crap out of a ball, not to eh to the left side. You're taught to release, you're taught to load and release the power and knock the, you know what, out of the baseball. That's what, that's how you got here. That's how, that's what we pay you to do. We don't pay you to hold on to it and dink it to the left side as a left-handed hitter. And it's funny, like, people call up the postgame show and go, well, why don't all these guys do it? It's like, well, that's not what they do. And I understand that shifting was smart, but obviously boring and bad for the game. Think about this. Every single hitting instructor, big league level down, has always taught have a back-up-the-middle approach. And what Cody Bellinger just said right there was, your entire life, you hit a line drive back up the middle, it's a base hit. In today's baseball, there's a guy standing there. And for a left-handed hitter, I pull an absolute rocket to the right side. That's a line drive over the, you know, would have been a line drive over the second baseman's head or a line drive that's in between first and second base. Well, now there's a rover there. We had Marcus Simeon there for years. Easy out. So, Everybody's like, well, why don't you just do – well, this is not like basketball where I can just naturally shoot from anywhere on the floor. That's really not how your body and when you hold a bat and how you hit. That's why the majority of players, if you hit a fastball, if you're hitting the ball the opposite way a lot of times – if you're hitting the ball weakly the opposite way, you're late. You're not squaring it. You're late. So it's natural to get that, to let the store the energy back and bring that energy through with that barrel. And when you barrel it up, the hardest balls hit are going to be what? Balls that are hit back up the middle or to the pull side. Like Giancarlo Stanton is one of the great stat cast guys. His home runs get out of the ballpark so hard and so fast. Are they the ones, Cody, that are the big looping ones out into right field? No, they fly out of the ballpark, pull-wise. Yeah, because that's the way his body is meant to swing. That's that's the thing. It doesn't matter. It, it's how you're hitting. There's not much difference. I mean, there's a difference that the baseball moves, the puck moves, the golf ball doesn't. But really, when you break down the mechanics of the swing, the biomechanics of the human body in the swing, 
There are so many similarities to hitting a baseball, hitting a hockey puck, and hitting a golf ball. It's just a reality. So we need to let these guys get back to doing what they do and what they're made to do, what their bodies are meant to do best. And that's opening up the middle of the field and the right side for these guys. So a guy like Cody Bellinger can go back to being a guy, I don't know with his injury if he's healed, but go back to being, you know, we we harp on Joey Gallo. I mean, watching Joey Gallo stand up there and just trying to flip balls to left field, is that really what you want to see? No, you want to see him, well, you want to see him crush the ball. But I don't think he'll ever be a high average guy, but Bellinger could go back to that. I looked it up the last few years, he's hit 203 combined. I think he's a better player than that, and I think the shift going away for sure is going to help him and a lot of guys. It's going to help a guy Look like – Look up Joey Gallo real quick. What was his best average ever? Uh, Joey Gallo's best year in the majors. He's been in the majors for eight years. He hit 250 – no, that doesn't count. He only had 70 games. And games where he played more than 100 games. In 2017, when he was 23, he hit 209. He struck it 196 times, but he had 41 yeah, but home yeah, runs. But give me that, even though it was a short, give me his bet. It was 250. 253 in 70 games. Dude, what a dramatic different player that is, 250 to 205. You're a dr- dramatically different player. You're a dramatically different player from 250 to 280. 280 to 300. 300 to 320. That's X amount of more times you're getting on base. And hopefully there's people on base and stuff's going on. Remember we talked about 90 feet and Scott Rowland always, you know, he was a it was a, for a big dude and not a fast guy. He was a really good base runner because he took pride in it. It's that 90 feet. It's winning the game of 90 feet. You are a dramatically better player when you hit the ball hard and you put the ball in play. The guys who hit 205 they're not putting the ball in play a lot. And then when they do, they're hitting it right into a shift and they were done. So, I don't know. We're going to see. Big bases. How many times you can throw over. No shifting. Pitch clock. We'll see. But at least we're doing something because doing nothing has led to long, slow, boring games that not everybody wanted to sit through. And Raleigh Fingers talked about it, and every single time we talk about it, it's like, oh, God, but even when they were winning World Series, it was cold. It was not really attended all that high. The attendance wasn't great. And now you're trying to throw in three and a half hours of cold Tuesday night baseball. I'm just saying. Baseball being under three hours, crisp, more hitting, more – more more watching the infielders and their beautiful athleticism. That's something we don't hear a lot about. And Bellinger brought it up. I mean, shortstops are beautiful athletes. Second base are great athletes, right? Let's see some of this great athleticism. You know, one of my favorite things in baseball, I think it's beautiful, is to watch that bang-bang double play. To watch just the athleticism of the shortstop, and he gets it, and boom, he gets to the second baseman. The second baseman, boom, boom, to the first baseman. That's athleticism, coordination, balance. To be, you have to be such a tremendous athlete to play up the middle in Major League Baseball. You have to be a great athlete. And those bang-bang double plays truly showed. To watch Roberto Alomar play second base was unbelievable. Ozzie Smith play shortstop. 
these guys who are just great athletes when they play these positions? Well, well, what did we do, Cody, with your shifting? We basically said Corey Seager and Justin Turner, they stink on defense. So what we're going to do is we're going to bunch everybody on the left side and hide the fact that they're not great defensively. And so really they only have to play in this little square footage in this box, and they don't have to show a lot of range. And the Dodgers won doing that. Oh, by the way, how was Bellinger this past year playing defense for the Texas Rangers? Uh, Check it. Not so hot. Now the guys that are not great defenders and you can't shift and protect them. And now you can't take Marcus Simeon or Manny Machado or do whatever and put him in right field and do all this kind of stuff. Now you're going to have to play more straight up and we'll see once again, who's got good defense and who doesn't. You can't trick them up. I was going to say, I think Seager is one of the most curious, most interesting case studies for this this year. Cause you're going to see him. We'll see how he does on defense, but also the shift going away could actually help him offensively because he's one of the guys that hits into the shift the most and has been affected by it. Anthony Rizzo's another one. Matt Olson's another one. A lot of these good left-handed guys put up a decent average left-handed. They could become close. Matt Olson could become closer to a 300 hitter this year. Freddie Freeman's already a, a great hitter. I'm curious to see what he does without the shift now. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see these balls put in play. And Gallo's going to be one too. Can he hit over 200 in Minnesota without the shift? That This is going to be a big year for him and obviously for Bellinger as well. I don't know. Did you get the uh, Did you get the alert from the Athletic about how tough it is to be a hitting coach in Major League Baseball? Uh, I did not. Is that Is that a new article? A new article has come out. Um, I can't wait to talk about this Friday. I barely during the commercial break got to go through it. Um, nightmare jobs in sports. Where do you start? Well, it sounds like hitting coach is going to be on that list nightmare jobs like a job you really really want but how bad do you want it all righty on monday obviously we had to honor our great captain the sal bando who's one of the great oakland a's of all time he's an oakland a's hall of famer uh we found out that there's only been two men that have captain that have captain three straight world series teams sal bando with the a's lou gehrig with the yankees I don't think I need to say more. So we did a tribute show to Sal on Monday. But before that, we were able to tape an interview. Dan Feinstein, assistant general manager and major league and international operations. So he's controlling everything globally for the Oakland Athletics. It's always great to have Dan on to find out how he does his job. To have you on the program. How have you been? Uh, we've been busy. Thanks for having me on. Well, yeah, obviously, when you start talking about uh, everything that's international with the Oakland Athletics, you are the point on this. And first of all, uh, congratulations on Shintaro. It was great having the press conference in the offices. We had him on the show here. Really excited. Tell us how he got on your radar and when you started to really think, we've got a shot at this 6'6 right-hander. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, we're pretty excited to have someone with Fuji's ability and experience come and join the staff. What happened, Cody? Uh, Adam Hislop and Tommy, our scouts in Japan, have done a phenomenal job following him over the years and have really seen uh, a lot of the highs and, and some of the lows. But what we saw out of him 
the last two months of the NPB season make us believe that he can come over here and have success as a starting pitcher, and we know that was important to him. What exactly did you see? Um, I mean, he when he's on, it can be utterly dominant. Um, he's got a fastball that uh, touches 100 miles an hour. He's got a split finger. He throws in the low to mid-90s. Um, you know, he struggled with his command at times over the years. Uh, but like I said, when he's on, it, it's good enough to get anybody out. You know, when you start talking about guys that throw really hard, isn't that something that you see, whether we're talking about high school players, college players, even when you get them in the minor leagues, we can even see at the big league level, but whether it's international or it's in the United States, don't we see for the most part, it's tough to harness that control when you're throwing that hard. It is. And players are throwing harder and harder these days. And when you get someone who, um, you know, has a, a plus major league fastball and the ability to, uh, command it. Um, that's a that's a combination you're looking for. Over the years, you've been in this game a long time. When did you start to realize, wow, things are really changing with velocity? We're now seeing guys that we used to think 92 to 94, 94 to 96. To my God, we got guys throwing 102, 103. Right. Yeah. No, we we talk about uh, especially with Billy because Billy always talks about the hard throwers that that he faced and, you know, Gooden and Nolan Ryan and, um, you know, they weren't throwing a hundred. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, David Price, uh, the first pick when we took him in Tampa was one of the first guys I remember who, you know, routinely as a starting pitcher was throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. Um, but it's really evolved here over the last 10 years or so. And has the inter- international game been the same like the United States? Have they progressed the same when you talk about velocity or have they been a little bit behind? Uh, Well, in the international market, you're more uh, talking about kids that are, you know, 14 to to 17. Uh, In that market, we're looking for projectable frames, uh, good, clean deliveries. Um, You know, if you see a kid throwing 82 to 85 at, at 15 years old, that's pretty good. Um, so you're looking for projection and and, and kind of estimating what you think he'll do, you know, seven to ten years from now. Yeah, I've often wondered about that. Whenever we start hearing about the signings, and we're hearing about a 16 year old, 17 year old, I mean, even we're talking about high school kids who are 18. I mean, you just don't know what is that like. What kind of confidence do you have to say, okay, we're going to put this kind of money to a kid who, let's say, is 17 years old? How much confidence in that decision do you have to have? You have to have a lot. And, you know, it really starts with the people on the ground. Steve Sharp, our international director, uh, Juan Mascara, who covers all of Latin America for us, our Hennis Paez, who leads our group uh, in Venezuela. Our scouts work incredibly hard and spend a lot of time watching these players over a period of years uh, before we uh, make a decision on whether to bring them into the organization or not. And coaching becomes so key for these kids. We had a great interview. We were just down at fantasy camp and one of our all-time favorites was down there coaching. He's one of your managers down in Arizona, Adam Rosales. We love Rosie. And Rosie was talking about bringing these young players in and it's totally understandable. You're coming from Latin America. You're a young kid. You get here and you think I finally made it to the United States And Rosie has to say, yes, you did. That's great. But now this is just the start 
of the journey. Now, we know how hard it was to get here, but now the journey really starts. Just talk about when you have these these young kids, they're like clay, and you need to mold them into hopefully Major League Baseball players. Yeah, I mean, it starts on January 15th of every year. January 15th is a really special day in the international community. It's the it's the culmination of years of, of hard work on behalf of the players and, and their families. Um, and it's, it's a great day for our scouts as well who've seen these players since they were little kids. It's heartwarming to see them celebrate uh, what is really just the first step in their journey into professional baseball. And, um, you know, they'll report to our Dominican complex and spend a year or two there uh, under the tutelage of our scouts and and coaches um, who work at the complex and run our summer league team. And um, it really it's been a year or two before Rosie even gets them. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, and you're happy for these kids because you know what their dream is and their family's dream. And I think of Luis Morales. I got here. He was the number five in the uh, top 50 international prospect list. I know we talked a little bit with David Force about this, but just talk about this pitcher, what you see in him, and just when you start looking at projections, like when could he be on the radar for Oakland A's fans? Yeah, Luis kind of headlined our international class this year, and we viewed it as a unique opportunity to, to add someone with some professional experience using our international amateur pool. He actually pitched for a year in the Cuban major leagues as an 18-year-old and struck out 30% of the batters he faced. Um, he actually came onto our radar as a 15-year-old when he was pitching for the national team in a tournament in Colombia and then resurfaced last year in Mexico City where he's been living and training for the past year. Uh, We saw him at a showcase in in Mexico and he was absolutely electric. Uh, We pursued him aggressively when this pool opened um, and we're looking forward to getting him over to Dominican and getting his career started. You know, when you hear stories like that and knowing that you basically have scouts all over the world, you know, when Shintaro signed, we were talking about your guys on the Pacific Rim. Uh, When you sign guys from Australia, it's just like, do you have time to sleep or are you just (laughs) always up worrying about what's going on around the world in baseball? Uh, You know, I don't I do have time to sleep and I I don't have to worry because we have such good people and, and they're all around the globe. We have a staff in Asia. You mentioned Australia. Dan Batrine is our scout there, did a, a great job with BJ Cook, who we signed last year. Uh, and we have a whole slew of personnel throughout Latin America. So, I mean, we're well positioned uh, everywhere in the globe. Yeah, I mean, it's I was I was telling you before we started this interview, I got a buddy who works for Amazon and he's got teams He's got the team in the Bay Area, the team in Seattle. He's got a team in London. He's got a team in Poland. I mean, he's got to travel around the world to meet with his team. Just tell A's fans your job, what is like managing all these different scouts, all these different people, different time zones, different places in the world, different cultures. Everything's different. What's it like managing all these groups? Well, the the special thing about Oakland. Um, and it's unique in that our front office is a little bit smaller and uh, we're all allowed to wear a lot of different hats. You know, our primary focus is on the major league team and the construction of the roster and trades and and signings and, and assisting David uh, with everything major league. Um, but I do. I also oversee the international department, which is uh, time consuming, challenging, rewarding, 
um, you know, we're, I would, I wouldn't have it any other way. No, it seems like, you know, when you talk about fascinating jobs, it sounds like a fascinating job. And let's talk about Darling Fernandez. He was ranked number 40 on the top 50 international prospects. He's the outfielder you also signed. Yeah, Darling's a really good young hitter from the Dominican Republic. We've seen him a lot over the last couple of years. It's been fun to watch him mature and grow as a hitter. Uh, he's the kind of kid, the more you scout him, the more you like him. Uh, he's strong. He's got the potential for power. He sees the ball really well. Uh, another kid we're really looking forward to getting into the system. You know, when you talk about the international game, the rules, it's tough to explain, and I know I'm not good at it, but the rules are different with everything. You know, back versus how this originally started out, how you could sign players. Now when you talk about your international, you know, the money that you have in your international pool, I guess we'll call it, uh, the way you got to do the posting with guys out of, out of the professional league in Japanese. Just talk about when you deal in the international market, the rules are different depending where you go in the world to sign players. They are. It's it's fairly consistent in Latin America it's a, and, and Australia. It's a, it's a little bit different uh, in Asia um, because they do have uh, professional leagues that, that we respect and we have protocol agreements with. Um, but it is different from the U.S. in that we, you know, scout, start scouting these players at, at a much younger age and we can sign them at 16. Yeah, that, that, that is truly amazing. Do, do you think we will see a change anytime soon uh, of how you're able to do uh, sign, I should say, amateur players internationally? I know people have talked about an international draft. Do you think we'll see a change? I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, there's um, pros and cons to both. I mean, we've been in favor of an international draft just to even the playing field a little bit. Um, but we're comfortable working under uh, the rules as they're currently outlined. You know, it's, you know, mentioning that we were just at fantasy camp and going down to Arizona Dan, as you know, it's pouring rain every day up in the Bay Area and we we're down in Arizona and I had shorts on at 75 <laughs> degrees and my legs were so white, I couldn't believe I had shorts on, but I was just so happy to be in warm weather. Uh, we're, we're pretty juiced up now for spring training. What you, once you've tasted it and been down there and you're down at Mesa, so what's it like for you now, knowing that I know you're going to have to load up the truck soon and your stuff before it leaves? Like, How do your juices get flowing at this time of the year? We're getting to the point where we're itching to get down there and, and get going. I mean, we've worked pretty hard this offseason to reshape the roster and uh, brought in a whole bunch of additional players. We think we have a deep and talented team, so we're all excited to get down to Arizona. You know, the one thing that's that we've talked a lot about on this show is after a while you start looking at all the players you guys have collected and you start saying there's competition at a lot of different spots. There's going to be competition for who's starting games. There's going to be competition for the bullpen. There's going to be competition with the position players. You know, last year was kind of, we understood what the process was and what was going on. Just talk about how different this spring training is going to be from last year. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have one of our largest groups. I mean, we've got 65 plus players coming to camp and, um, you know, it's well documented that we're going to have some decisions to make on, with the pitching staff. We think we have a deep and talented staff, but we're going to have decisions to make on, on the position player side as well. Um, but those things all have a way of sorting themselves out through the spring. 
Is it crazy now to think that when we go into a season, you know, we used to always buy these baseball magazines and they'd say, here's your five starting pitchers. You're like, no, you're going to need a lot more than that. We're going to need like 10, 11, 12, 13. Is it just crazy to think how many starting pitchers? It's kind of like horses. You got to have a stable of them. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that you, you did only use five, but last year we used the most players in, in A's history. And uh, you know, we can only assume that we're going to need, uh, more than five starters uh, going into the season. And, and like I said, we have uh, a, a bunch of them uh, that can all impact and and play a role in the staff. Is there a couple names you could give us for A's fans? Because we always get excited to know who the front office is really interested in. Is there a couple names that you could give us that you say, you know what, I'm really going to have my eye on these guys in spring training? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, on the position player side, Kyle Muller, uh, someone who came over from Atlanta and the Murphy deal. He's one of the primary pieces. He'll get his chance to work his way into the rotation. Uh, he's six seven. It's it's plus stuff across the board. He touches 98 miles an hour. He's got two breaking balls that are swing and miss pitches um, through a ton of strikes and AAA. So we're excited to see what he can do. And he threw I, – I was going through the stats. I, I just I, – I couldn't believe – he threw a, a complete game last year in AAA. <laughs> yeah, pretty rare. <laughs> like, that's like finding Bigfoot. I didn't know we could do that anymore. <laughs> uh, another guy, Astori Ruiz, who came over in that same deal, will uh, you know immediately become one of the most exciting and dynamic players on the team. Um, he plays elite defense in the outfield put up ridiculous numbers in the minor leagues last year. He hits for average power. He stole 80 plus bags. Um, if anybody's going to benefit from the larger bases this year, it's going to be somebody like him. Yeah. I, I, we've been talking about him cause we reached out to some Padre people and they absolutely loved him. Didn't want to give him up, but obviously if you're going to get a guy like Josh Hader, you got to give something up. And I know he's been on the radar for a long time for the Oakland athletics. And he mentioned the rules. I'm sure you guys have been studying it. Do you think we'll see a dramatic impact on the game with these new rules or maybe not as much as us, you know, who are us talking heads think that it will be that dramatic. Yeah. And no, I mean, we're all curious to see how it's going to play out. Um, you know, with the bigger bases, I think teams will be incentivized to take a little more risk um, and, and take an extra base with guys who can run. Um, you know, selfishly, the pitch clock uh, is something that we're looking forward to. Maybe shorten the games a little bit and get a, a little more action and a little less downtime. Um, and then back to the bases. I mean, I think the the definition of the bang bang play at first is, is going to change, and and we'll see how that looks. You know, as you mentioned, you've worked for the Tampa Bay Rays before, and we always, when we have Rays people on, we always talk about your. They're kind of like the mirror image of us on the East coast because of, you know, the borrow park issues and all the different things. Uh, when you work for organizations like this and let's end on this, this kind of the fun part is it's always the process. It's always, you're always viewed as an underdog, but you're always having the ability to build something special to be able to compete with the big, the big dogs and the big money teams. How much does that excite you? The process of doing it every single year with the Oakland athletics. You know, I've, I've been the thing I take away the most is the, is the people that I've been able to work and learn 
from. You know, I've been extremely fortunate to work with Billy and David uh, and Paul DePodesta and Andrew Friedman, some of the brightest minds in the game. Um, and, you know, it's just it's been a joy to 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 learn and absorb what what those guys have all been able to teach me. And safe to say this game's changed a lot since you first got in it. <laughs> no question. <laughs> I think they would all say the same as well. Yeah, like, like it, it. I don't know when somebody will do it, but somebody's going to need to write the book about how technology got into baseball and then how technology completely changed baseball. I'm sure people are writing it as we speak. Well, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much, and we'll see you down at spring training. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. I'm fired up. Let's go. Let's get in that uh, 75 to 80 degree weather. Cody in his white legs and, and shorts. I am too. I have to admit, I was a little embarrassed. It was. Were we embarrassing in Arizona when we were just there? Oh, I didn't wear shorts, so I wore pants. I thought it was going to be. I, I, wore, I wore shorts every day. I thought it was going to be colder than it was in Arizona because we're so used to being rainy and cold in the Bay Area. But, uh, no, I think we were fine. No one, no one, no one really saw us, so it's a little different. We were kind of tucked away in that crow's nest where in spring training, everyone's going to see us. It was campers, not players, this time. So if the players the see camp, us, with camp, white- campers were having campers were having so much fun, they could care less what we were doing. So if we have white legs or we look, you know, you know, I'm sure I'll get crap for my hair or whatnot. the The players are going to remember that, and they're going to say the same stuff to us throughout the season, like, "Hey, white legs" or something, you know. Yeah. The, the campers aren't going to – what are they going to do, come at us on social media? We have to live it every day at the ballpark. <laughs> every single day. It's it, it's uh, it's going to be fun. You know, I, I know we only have so much time left. And just thinking about the process of the Baseball Hall of Fame this year, I don't know why, but I think I've thought about it more than I ever have. And, and, you know, you'll hear me say about my walks. I think about a lot of stuff. So I walk every night at the park across the street from my house. I walk around and around and around. It's got a trail. And I just reflect on a lot of things, whether it's life or whatever, this show, business, everything that we have going on. And I just recently been thinking that the process has gotten to a point to where there's no more joy in it. And I don't know if there was a whole lot of joy in there in the first place. But I started the show when we were talking about how we understood the conversation of you're either okay with the PED guys or you're not. You're either okay with Pete Rose or you're not. Like, we knew the conversation. It now has just gotten to a point of, I think a lot of fans are turned off and don't care. Not turned off angry. Turned off angry means you care. They're turned off, I don't care, irrelevant. Like they don't think about it. Not a big deal. That's, that's in the end, not good for the future of the sport. Hell, it's not good for the Hall of Fame as a business. When too, too many people are like, meh. I mean, when you watch the process, I'm not saying the process of the Hall of Fame is better. Because now uh, in the NFL, the NFL, a lot of NFL players think it's getting to be too big of a haul. But the one thing that we do know 
is that the people that are in there deciding on who gets into and who doesn't get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, nobody is saying they don't have the credentials to do it. You may not like their process. You may not agree with their process. But the men and women who are deciding who goes in and who doesn't are NFL people who cover the NFL. They're not randoms. They're not who? Never heard of them. I mean, these are these are bona fide NFL people. That's a big question. Like our own Eno Sarasu votes now. Never worked for a real a a a a legitimate publication newspaper. And I'm not saying he had to because it's just this new generation. He worked at Fangraphs. He's now at the Athletic. This whole thing was built on writers that were working for newspapers. That's how this system was built. And that system's pretty much dead. Look how young some of the beat writers are now. There's no chance these people have been in the Baseball Writers Association for 10 years. And they're young and they're cheap. No offense, but, I mean, it's it's just that the newspaper business is dying. And then you can look at this, that there is quite a bit of a percentage of people who have been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame who weren't elected by the writers. So even at some point they realize this system's really flawed. We need to have committees. There is a good percentage. I, I mean, I don't have the list up in front of me, but there is a good percentage now of guys that have been elected. Yeah, I remember, I, I want to say all the early guys elected weren't elected by votes by writers, like the first class, the biggest class ever. That wasn't by writers. And now look at all the guys that you could talk about that have been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame by committees. It's a good percentage of modern-day people who have gone into this museum as Hall of Famers have not been elected by the Baseball Writers of America. They've been elected by committees. And I'm sure as I've been talking, you've probably looked this up, Cody. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, Fred McGriff's a great example. He's a guy that was, that was voted in by a committee. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, arguably the greatest hitter and greatest pitcher of all time, if they get in, they're getting voted in by a committee, not by oh the God, writers. Jack Morris, Alan Trammell, these managers, these, these executives. I mean, all the, you know, Harold Baines. We've got all kinds. The original class. We have a good percentage, a good percentage of all, was it 270-something people in the Hall of Fame? There's a good percentage of everybody who has a plaque in the Baseball Hall of Fame was not voted in by the writers. Uh, two of the last three years, or, yeah. Uh, of the last three years, we've had two players elected by the baseball writers to go into the Hall of Fame. Think about that. It was David Ortiz, and then it was Scott Rowland this year. Two of the last three years, we've had, or of the last three years, we've had two players get elected in three uh, elections. I mean, I'm with you. I think the process there there is no joy, and the process needs to change. I, I told you my thoughts on it the other day. I think feel like writers, especially the older writers, are taking a stance by saying, well, I'm not voting for this guy because I want to put myself in the news because I didn't vote for this guy. Like the guy didn't vote for Jeter. Did the guy not vote for Jeter because he thought Derek Jeter wasn't a Hall of Famer or because he knew if he didn't vote for him, he might be one of the only ones and he might get his name mentioned more by doing it that way than actually voting for Derek Jeter. 
And I think that's a, a flaw. That's why I like having younger voters now who are going to look at different things like war. War is like the biggest thing we look at now for the Hall of Fame voting. It's going to help players. It's going to hurt players getting in, but it, it helps Scott Rowland. It's going to help Todd Helton. It's going to help – Joe Maurer's going to get in, and Joe Maurer's fascinating because if he gets in, then you got to vote – you know, Posey and, and Molina probably get in too. And they – Molina's pretty deserving. Posey, there, people are going to question the longevity of his career, but he had a good career. I, I just think there's – you know, I'm with you. There's no joy in this process anymore. Like, if I was a writer, I'd love to vote for the Hall of Fame every year. I wouldn't leave a blank ballot like we've seen. What, there's four of them this year, and that screws up the whole thing? Like, just don't – you know what? Just vote for a couple of guys. Vote for one guy. It's better than voting for nobody. Yeah, voting for nobody it, it it messes up the the percentages and it really hurts. Like you know, like when when you say like J.P. Morosi used all ten, and he said the reason why I do that is that it helps keep guys on the ballot who later on, like a Scott Rowland, can be a Hall of Famer. But if no one voted for him right out of the gate, he's got no shot. Right now, I'm on baseballhall.org, and you might be questioning what I told you. But there is a good amount of everybody who is a Baseball Hall of Famer was not voted in by the baseball writers. Candy Cummings. Do you know who Candy Cummings is? Never heard. Never heard. An executive, class of 1939. I mean, we can go through so many of these guys in the base. All of the Negro League players who are now in, they weren't voted in by the baseball writers. All the old players who are in weren't voted in by the baseball writers. All these different committees that have put guys in. How about the umpires? There's umpires in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And there's going to be more that go in, just like owners. You you need to understand that there is quite a bit of people that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame who are not voted in by the writers. It's a – it's a system that needs to be looked at. I don't know if they're going to look at it. I don't know if they care. They may be happy as hell with the way they do it. They like the fact that people like me are complaining about it because it means they're talking about it. I don't know. I don't know what has to happen. I just think it'd be a legit conversation to say, okay, do we need to really start rethinking who's voting now and who's not? Who are we sending these ballots to? And does it have to be people from the Baseball Writers Association? Because God knows we have to have all these committees because we don't think they get it right. Give you one name. This is a guy that was more upset about than anything, but we knew it was going to happen, but it's still the number he got on the ballot this year just perplexed me. And I, I knew I understood it because people have their own agenda, especially writers. And his role, but Carlos Beltran getting only 46.5% of the vote for the Hall of Fame. He has the, let me, hold on, let me, let me have it right here. He has the eighth highest war among center fielders in his career. He's one of the greatest center fielders of all, or switch hitters of all time. Oh, and his postseason numbers, if you just want to take a look at his postseason numbers, because he played in a lot of big postseason games, he's a career 307 hitter in the postseason. And he has 16 home runs and 42 runs driven in in the postseason. But we're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame because he's associated with the Astros cheating scandal the last year of his career. I mean, it's just – I get it. Everyone's going to have their own agenda on it. I, Beltran's a Hall of Famer to me. He should have been in. Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer. He should be in. Where you only have seven reli- – I think it's seven or eight relievers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Billy Wagner's arguably the greatest left-handed reliever of all time. And he has the highest strikeout rate among any pitcher 
not starting pitcher, reliever pitcher with 900 or more innings, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's six in saves, or is it? Yeah, so either fourth or six. I'm I have so many numbers in my head. Billy Wagner should be in, and Todd Helton. Are you? Are you, are you, are you, are you slow down. Are you all right? Yeah, and Todd Helton's another one. He'll get in next year. I think with the, the percentage of vote he got this year, Helton will go in next year. Beltre's a lock first ballot. I mean, I think Beltre gets in next year easily, as he should. The three thousand hits, the four thousand, the four hundred and fifty home runs. Uh, Beltre is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's not going. He's not going to go unanimous, but I think he gets a lot, a large percent of the vote next year. We might see multiple guys next year, which would be nice because the following year, for me, near and dear, Ichiro's on it. I think he gets on the first ballot. You got CC Sabathia. He is going to be close because he. For a while, thought we thought him and Verlander were the only guys getting close to 300 wins, and they, Verlander might be the last one. And we're going to start looking at pitchers differently, but the process definitely needs to change. And if people like me who are younger are getting upset about it for guys not going in that I watch play like Beltron and Todd Helton, that's when you have to start looking at the process internally for, um, among the writers. All right. I, I, I'm on the Baseball Hall of Fame website, so – did it make sense what I was talking about with committees versus the Baseball Writers Association? Did yeah. that make sense? Or yes. do I need to clarify. No, that's correct. Well, I'm going to clarify anyway. The Hall of Fame is comprised. This is not counting Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, who's going in. The Hall of Fame is comprised of 341 elected members. Included are 269 former Major League players, 40 executives slash pioneers, 22 managers, and 10 umpires. Now, we are under the belief that the majority of all these players were elected by the Baseball Writers Association. Agree or disagree? Agree. The reality is that's false. And that's why this system, which I don't think a lot of people know about, needs to change. Because the Baseball Writers Association has elected 135 candidates to the Hall of Fame, while the veterans committees, in all their forms, they have chosen 180. So, Baseball Writers now, with the new math, 136, the committees, 181. Now, I'm not saying big hall, small hall, not. What we're trying to show you is... This whole belief it's the baseball writers. They haven't always been selecting. They've selected less, more. The, the committees have put in more people. And now the writers, we don't even really know who the writers are anymore. I mean, we can, we can, we have barely any beat writers anymore in the Bay Area. Think about that. We're one of the big markets in the country. Tampa Bay, they got one writer. A lot of these towns, they got one or two writers. That's it. The days of 10, 12 writers traveling with teams and covering teams are over. Most towns have one paper, one beat writer. The columnists have all been early retired they bought them out. A lot of these 
un, you know, the calm and long, this guy's the long-term guy for the LA Times. This guy's for the Chronicle. This guy's for the San Diego Union Tribune. You know, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. This guy's the, you know, Washington Post. A lot of them are gone. They, they, they either retired or they bought them out into retirement. We don't have it anymore. You know what I mean? Retired columnists in the Bay Area still have Hall of Fame votes, and they're retired because they were pushed out. And I hate it, but it's just true. There's guys that don't even cover the sport that have a vote in the Bay Area. So it's like, as I said, they've elected now 136 guys. Committees have elected more. Committees have had more responsibility. But yet, for some reason... For the last X amount of years, we've just hung to this, the baseball writers. I think it's time to really look at, all right, if we want, whether you want less Hall or you want more Hall, however you want it, it's what's the best practice to figure out who is and who's not. And is it sending out a bunch of ballots Two writers that year to year, we don't even know if they've got a job. We don't even know if they're on a beat. We don't even know if they're still, are they still columnist? I mean, if we could get a list of, there's a lot, and we pared it down. That's the crazy thing, too. They pared it down because it was way too much. And it's still way too much. We could, if we could actually get a list of everybody who's voting and just Google them, where are they now and what are they doing? I guarantee you, there is a ton of people you'd be like, they have a vote. He has a vote. She has a vote. Why do they have a vote? That it's just the media's changed. Back in the day, everything was based off newspapers. Man, teams don't even care about newspapers anymore. Does any does anybody really go to the newspaper to get the box scores? No, because you know, we have we have the A's app and the Giants have their app. And if you don't want to, if you don't want your app to be um, just a team, you can just make it the MLB app. You can at the touch of a button, boom, get your box score. I mean, the newspapers they're they're nothing. When's the last time? When's the last time? You know, because when I first got in this business, this article, oh my God, this was in the San Jose Mercury News, or this was in the Oakland Tribune, or, you know, Santa Rosa Press Democrat, the Contra Costa Times. There was an article written, and oh my God. When's the last time anybody's done that? I couldn't tell you last time I bought a newspaper. News, newspapers don't break news anymore. They got to break it on Twitter and put a link on there and hope that you're going to go there. And then after you've gone there so many different times, you got to now pay for it. Oh my God. This is so-and-so said this by the 49ers. I'm interested in that. Well, if you do that three different times, now they're going to try and charge you for it. And then you're not, I mean, it's like the newspaper business is dead. It's dead, but we're still allowing, we're still, we're allowing a, a, an almost dead entity still control this process. And I just want to point out that committees have done far more than the papers. They need to figure out because every year we go on 23, 24, 20, there's less, there's going to be less people working in baseball as writers. Yeah. 
Now you got the group that's never even written for a newspaper. They're all online writers, which is fine because that's where some of the best journalism is, is like The Athletic. But there's only so many guys that work at The Athletic. We need to really and, – and have have you noticed that these committees are made up of who? All people in baseball. Maybe that's something that we really need to look at, it, the diversity of baseball. Whether you're looking at guys that were executives, guys that are former players, guys that are broadcasters, guys that are whoever, coaches. what I mean, a, a, a diverse body of people that's not a bazillion writers. Maybe that's what they really need to start. Still have some writers, but make sure those are writers that still are in the game, that still do this professionally. Not that, not, not, ah, I still love the game, but I've been retired, or, well, you know, I got bought out. No, I want someone who still works in the game, still goes to the ballpark, still goes in clubhouses, still talks to people, still is involved. Because when you're still getting paid, you still have responsibilities. When you're not getting paid, you don't have responsibilities. But things do need to change. And I, I, I hate this whole, a guy has 10% and then he's a Hall of Famer years later. It just shows you it's a flawed game. It's a game. Well, other guys came off the ballot and now new guys come on. It's just like, what do we, and they have the same problem in the NFL. They'll say, hey, we need to get this wide receiver in because we got three wide receivers coming. So you better get this guy in now because here comes X, Y, and Z. Those are all flawed processes. I don't think you can ever make it perfect, but I think we could do a far better job. All right, we will be back on Friday. What do we got going on Friday? I tell you what, we're going to be reading this article about why being a uh, hitting coach in Major League Baseball could be a horrific job. Volatile is the uh, word in the title. I pulled it up on my computer. I'm going to read it. But on Friday, four o'clock at Plank here in Jack London Square, we'll be at. Oh, that's right. We'll be at Plank on Friday from four to six. Ken Korak will be by. Where there's going to be bingo, raffles, and everything else going on at Plank at four. Starting, we'll be on starting at four o'clock for happy hour. But you can still get all the great Spirit Week deals online. Athletics.com/slash/tickets. Uh, all single game tickets go on sale Friday. That's Friday, January twenty seventh. So we'll hopefully we'll see everyone at Plank on Friday at 4 p.m. Two things. Someone asked my shirt's a Mark McGuire Big Mac shirt for whoever asked on, on YouTube. And someone said Tom Flores is in the Hall of Fame. That's incorrect. He got in the Hall of Fame in 2021. Someone said he's not in the Hall of Fame? The Hall, the NFL, let me see what the, the exact quote was. Where'd it go? Sorry, Flores. Oh, for never mind. He changed it. He said, "Sorry, Flores got in," but it was prior. Flores isn't in, but someone at the NFL Hall of Fame. Then he changed it. So, well, Tom Flores finally got in. It was a travesty that he wasn't in. I completely agree. I'm glad they. I'm glad they put him in because there was another coach coming, so you had to get him in. I mean, Tom Flores, as a football life, as, I mean, you think about Super Bowl champion. Remember. He was on the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl ring as a as a player, and you think about as a coach and as a head coach, and I mean as as a Hispanic American, the ground that he broke in the NFL. I mean, he he he. I mean, how do you not look at Tom Flores as someone who has had an incredible football life that does not? deserve 
a bust in Canton, Ohio. And I'm just not saying it because I love Coach, and I've worked with Coach for many years, and we've done many shows together. Uh, but I just look at the historical aspect of Tom Floor's career as a player, a coach, a head coach, an executive. There's no question he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He should live forever a bust in the Pro Football in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and finally that did happen. Yeah, and it was very well deserved. I remember watching it. I'm happy for Coach Flores because, you know, I talked to him a few times at a, at our, in our old days when we were affiliated. When I was also, you know, working along with the Raiders, working with the Raiders, and Coach Flores deserved to get in for all the stuff he's did. I'm glad he got in. You know, there's another Raider that should be the Hall of Fame. Cliff Branch should be in, but the Cliff Branch got Branch didn't get in, right? Yeah, Cliff Branch got in. Okay, so then the, yeah. I'm just to, got it. Yeah, so there we go. Man, you guys are just kings of misinformation today. All right, as a player, Super Bowl champion, remember, played in the AFL, so he was an AFL All-Star. As a coach, he was a three-time Super Bowl champion, two-time as a head coach. I mean, Tom Flores, I mean, it just it's, it speaks for itself. I mean, his is he was. Has how is it? How did it take so long? And a trailblazer as a as a Latino. I mean, it's he's an absolute trailblazer. It was it's crazy, but yeah, things get missed. But luckily, while he's still alive, because coach is now he's going to be eighty six years old this March. You know, you want to get him. Flores was the first. So just reading Wikipedia, Flores was the first Mexican starting quarterback and the first minority head coach in professional football history to win a Super Bowl. What? Wasn't in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> it's like it was crazy to all of us who were around the Raiders going, how is he not in the Hall of Fame? A lot of people thought him leaving the Raiders, going to Seattle and things didn't go so hot in Seattle. And that's. You know, that that can happen to a lot of coaches. You know, you go somewhere else and you don't have the same success and then people try and hold that against you. Um, what's his name with the 49ers, one of the great defensive coordinators of all time and head coaches, two Super Bowl wins. George Seifert. George Seifert, because he went what, what happened in Carolina. But George Seifert has five Super Bowl rings, three as a coach, two as a head coach. He's got five. He's coached some of the greatest players of all time. George Seifert should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, all those years, Madden had the greatest winning percentage. And they didn't have Madden in. And think about Madden's football life. Everything that Madden's done for the league. Joe Mad John Madden wasn't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's literally one of the most famous NFL figures of all time. And he wasn't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Is that insane? It's unbelievable. He probably, I think it was 06 when he finally got in, 2006. Crazy. It was like, I was John, John Madden has the great, I mean, yeah, could he have coached longer? But he said, I'm done. He had the greatest winning percentage. His teams were always in the playoffs, always in the AFC title game. Yeah, did they lose a lot in those games? Well, yeah, you're taking on the Steelers. There were great teams then. You had Shula and the Dolphins. I mean, you had great teams in the AFC. Um, and 
But he won a Super Bowl, and his winning percentage was through the roof. And then all the broadcasting and everything. It's like John Madden is like a is one of the most recognizable figures in the sports history. And he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Like, crazy. Just crazy. They miss. People miss. I mean, it, it happens. But that's where you wonder, you know, getting back to baseball, how it's going. They And I don't know what the Hall of Fame, I, I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe Maybe behind closed doors right now, they're starting to look at the process, and they're like, well, yeah, maybe we really need to start looking into this. Because – if 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 shows on ML, MLB Network are forcing you to look at it another way, like how many writers that you see in interviews saying, well, you know, we're starting to look at it another way. Well, they're having to be educated by other people to help them form their decisions. Are these really the people you want voting then? That 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 that's a legitimate question. Like They've had outside influences change how they think. That's a bad sign. They're the ones who are supposed to be setting the standard. They're the voters. But it's the outside entity going, hey, morons, you're missing out on all this kind of stuff, and it's pretty important in the sport. That's the eye test. Or he didn't have 3,000 hits or 500 home runs. He can't be in. Like, it's the outside influences have changed how they voted. That's a bad sign. I don't know, Cody, am I wrong that when outside influences have to teach you how to vote and you're the actual voter, that's a bad sign. Yeah. It's I'm, the process needs to change and hopefully they get around to it eventually because it, it they're, it's a very flawed and I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, he's going to leave it at that. Everyone join us on Friday at Plank, 4 o'clock for happy hour. That's here in Jack London Square in Oakland. Do you have the happy hour deals? What are we eating? I, I don't have it in front of me, no. I, I just can tell you this. The last time we were at Plank, the food was good. It's a couple of years ago. We're actually going to be – well, I'm not going to give it away yet, but people will see it. People will see us very easily on Friday starting at Are we going to be in the same spot that we were last time? We will not be. Oh, curveball. I know I'm going to have a chance to talk to all the fans. That's correct. Yeah, I, I was just over at Plank earlier checking, scoping out the scene, a scene setter, as they say, uh, checking out where we're going to be set up. So I'm looking forward to it on Friday. Everyone, hopefully you can join us for happy hour at 4 o'clock at Plank, 4 to 6 o'clock, bingo, raffle, giveaways. We hope to see everyone there. Ken Korak will be joining us as well. As my old broadcast partner, the great Brent Musburger, used to say, "You are looking live. Were you looking live at what we were, what we're going to do?" I was looking live at Jack London Square here in Oakland, California. I do miss Brent, right. I do miss Musburger saying that. Ah, he's the best. Okay, that's it. We want to thank Dan Feinstein and we want to thank Eno Saris for stopping by today. Hope you enjoyed the Hall of Fame talk. I mean, we love the Hall of Fame. We, we wouldn't talk about it if we didn't care. Uh, he's got a new big dude who can hit home runs in Aguilar. Hopefully he has a big year. And uh, a lot to get into on Friday. Hope we'll see everybody at Plank on Friday. It's starting at 4 o'clock, correct? Yep, 4 to 6 at Plank here in Jack London Square in Oakland. We'll see everybody on Friday in Oakland. Have the great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon.
The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Oakland Athletics Spring Training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.